Hello everyone, and welcome to This Nintendo Life, episode 201. My name is NBZ, and uh, boy, it's been a long time since we've done a podcast, Bally. We've uh, we've taken some time uh, in between, you know, and uh, you were away and things were happening, mm. and this is the first regular episode we've recorded in a month, I believe? Yeah, we, uh, the convenient, well, rather inconvenient, inconveniently, 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 I went away at the point at which episode 200 was coming out, yeah. so yeah, we had to record that five-hour marathon um, ahead of time. Uh, which was tough to squeeze in, but we managed, and it, yeah. was, it turned out well. I was very I happy so. with how it turned out. I've listened back to it. I'm I'm very happy with the order. I won't spoil things for those who haven't listened to it yet. But yes, it has been two weeks, good. but it is a five-hour show, so I'm sure there's lots of people, especially with uh, our current times and people not commuting as much. I'm sure uh, you know it'll take people a little bit to get through. But mm. um, yeah, thanks to everybody who uh, listened to that. We got um, a bunch of feedback on the Discord of people chatting about it, which was great. And uh, yeah, I think uh, it's it's a good one. So um, yeah, if you haven't checked it out because you're like, wow, that's really a lot of megabytes to download, um, you could you can check it out on YouTube as well that's yeah. a place you can go and watch it so it's it's all over the place and uh yes I'm, I'm happy with that but we're back now with regular scheduled episodes which hopefully will not go for five hours um uh, if we can help it we'll try i mean there's a lot of games talk about this segment ballet so i don't know how yes. it's gonna go but uh yes. but yeah we'll we'll try and rein it in a little bit more uh, and give you more regular podcasts but uh Bally, how are you doing how's how's life how's things going i'm good uh we are in the middle of a lot of wedding prep that yes. is fun very fun time it's yeah. it's 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 literally the opposite of fun is planning <laughs> weddings on the <laughs> it's it's hell i know there is that like stereotype of like the dude in a wedding in a traditional marriage is uh is the person who's like why why are we doing well i don't want to do any of this you can handle all of this this is this is none of my business but uh seems like it's bearing out to be true in your case maybe well no we're both we're both doing lots we're both of doing work. stuff it's but just, uh, yeah it's just yeah. it's it's you're fed up with it basically i'm fed up with it i, yeah. I think the day will be fun i look forward to the day but I yeah think, yeah the build-up is just it's a lot. It's tough. It's just like bleeding your dry, man, isn't it? It's just yeah. like, yeah, it's, uh, it takes all your money and uh, a lot of effort and preparation. Yes, but, yes. Uh, the, the balance of like how much to spend versus amount of fun we want to have on the day versus all these other decisions. It's yeah. it's, it's tricky. It's, it's a tough one. Well, uh, I look forward to it, um, and uh, I'm sure we'll chat a bit about it uh, after the case uh, on the show, but uh, we're here to talk about video games. Have you heard of them? They're pretty big these days, uh, and there's a company in Nintendo who makes some of them, um, so we're going to be chatting about those, uh, but Bali, what is, what is today's show going to be looking like uh, in total? Uh, slightly shorter show this week following that five-hour marathon. We're going to do a two-segment show. For the first segment, we're going to talk about the games that we have been playing, and there are quite a lot of them, so that could take a while. And then the second segment, we're going to talk through some of the emails you have written into us on the show. So look forward to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Bali, a uh, few big releases have been happening recently, uh, so we want to kind of hit up those first. The first being The Legend of Zelda Skyward Sword HD, uh, which came out and uh, I have been playing a decent amount of. I'm about nine-ish hours in, um, just at the start of the third dungeon. Um, And if you'll recall, uh, I... 
I'm a big fan of Skyward Sword. Don't know if I mentioned it before on the show, but um, but I really love that game. I think part of it is, you know, I, one of those days that I will remember for a long time is the day that Skyward Sword and Mario 3D Land came out because um, I was at uni and I went downstairs and the package was there and it was I got the special edition Skyward Sword with the Motion Plus remote, the Wii Mote Plus, I guess it was called the golden one, which I think we both have, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I was playing that alongside 3D Land, and I was going back and forth between them. I was like, do a dungeon in Zelda, then open up my 3DS, play a couple levels in 3D Land. It was just like two of my favorite games uh, from Nintendo in that period of time. Um, and uh, yeah, so I've I've always had a very big fondness for this game, which is not necessarily the case with the rest of the internet and people generally. And I know you're mm. a little cooler on Skyward Sword than me overall, but... Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those games that I think it was almost a breaking point for people with the formula of Zelda uh, alongside some of the tutorialization stuff and the slowness of the opening and that type of thing, which I think had compounded for a lot of people and made people kind of like, okay, they need to do something different. And they did, obviously. They did Link Between Worlds and then Breath of the Wild, which is really breaking things away. Um, but yeah, this is kind of the last traditional Zelda that Nintendo made. Um so yeah it's so this version of the game is uh pretty much a rework in a lot of good ways uh ways that streamline it ways that make it more appealing i think to people who maybe bounced off it Mm. and that's not to say that the game is different in a significant way because it's still the same it's still skyward sword so if you had issues with the pacing of skyward sword you're probably still gonna have issues with the pacing of this game because it is a remaster they didn't do like the wind waker thing at least i don't think so yet because i haven't gotten to those spots or even the twilight princess thing where they were like small things they did but i can't really think off the top of my head what they are but i think that the start of the game is supposed to be ever so slightly shorter or something i don't know how yeah so i I can i can speak to that and the the reason mainly is that a lot of the conversations that would deliberately stop you are not there anymore and what will happen is characters will have little bubbles over their head where you can optionally talk to them Ah, uh, versus them like stopping you as you're running part like so there's this one moment where there's this little kid who talks to you about rolling and rolling into trees and stuff like that and you can just run past him this time and he just has a bubble over his head i've played zelda before i know about the role yeah exactly (laughs) versus in skyward sword you'd run past him the game would stop it would do a bit of a text thing and it would go through and it would just kind of I think for a lot of people, it, it made it so that it took them a long time to get off Skyloft, right? Like, it's it was a kind of momentum killer, in a, in a sense. And I never really complained that much about it, because I'm fine. I think you also are fine with slow openings. You've talked many times about... You love tutorialization, and... I'm very used to, like, you know, Twilight Princess. Ocarina's not that quick. Wind Waker's not particularly quick. I think all these 3D Zeldas traditionally have slow openings. It didn't bother me yeah. about Skyward Sword totally yeah so i i wasn't that bothered by it but it is nice uh frankly as someone who has played the game before to not have to have that stuff because i do know it and i don't need to know it and so a lot of the stuff in terms of fi popping up and being like hey uh i have this thing that you have to go do i have a percentage chance of you're gonna die because your health is low right now bing 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 um she just doesn't do that anymore she just doesn't pop up and doesn't talk to you doesn't uh give you as many tips however she is on the d-pad so you can press down on the d-pad to bring her up and it'll be like uh do you want to talk to her with advice do you want to need help here stuff like that so you can call on her if you do need it and she'll be like blinking if there is something that the get i think there's 
there's a blinking thing indicates this is a thing that in the original game would have been mandatory but now it's just blinking to to notify you that's that good. there's something that you c- can do if you that's, want that's very un nintendo of them to include it this is. option yeah it is one of those things right when you think about nintendo doesn't listen to people like they clearly to, I mean, not only with Link Between... They have selective hearing, let's just say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But particularly the Zelda team with Link Between Worlds and Breath of the Wild, like, those are pretty direct responses to the reaction to Skyward Sword, I feel, right? Alongside, in some senses, maybe the Zelda team was, okay, we've done this formula for a long time, we kind of need a shake-up. I'm sure there's some of that involved, but also people were not that happy with the direction the series was going in um and mm, so mm. so yeah the the idea that they did listen to some of that stuff and especially some of the most egregious like you know picking up a rupee every time you load the system Yikes. up uh and it tells you what the rupee is did they not learn from twilight princess and then they included it again in skyward sword it's yeah bizarre. yeah totally uh, and it's the same with bugs and with materials and Ugh. all that type Ugh. of stuff like it it was constant and um and i didn't mind it that much because i was basically binge playing skyward sword so i'd have it on for like seven hours at a time so i only experienced it like okay the next day i would turn it on and play a right, bit more exactly, and, yeah. and then it would be like a little barrier at the start of your play session and then it would just disappear after that even if they did a direct port because people would be putting their switch into sleep mode it probably wouldn't even have been a big of an issue on this port yeah even though they have fixed it yeah that's what yeah it's it's one of those funny things actually and i didn't th- i would i was like oh well this isn't going to affect me anyway because even if they hadn't changed it because i only played this one game and i'm keeping it in sleep mode turns out i've been playing a bunch of different switch stuff so it actually is right. really nice when you load it back <laughs> up and you know because i've been popping into ace attorney and, and part-time ufo and stuff like that so it was great that they made that change and i'm happy about it and you know it just again it just streamlines things it just makes it so it's not as much of a hassle but um but yeah that in terms of trimming the fat i don't think they did the thing they did with twilight princess hd which was like reduce the number of tiers of light you have to find or with wind waker where they mm. streamlined the end with the triforce hunt they reduced the number of triforce pieces at the end and made them easier yeah yeah they, yeah, they just made it a lot more smooth of an experience alongside stuff like the swift sail making it faster and stuff like that and they they don't necessarily have an answer for those issues when it comes to skyward sword especially i think the third part of the game where you get into the third revisit of those areas and it's like okay now i'm gonna do the late game yeah it feels a lot longer you're right early game it feels a lot leaner totally yeah because i think a lot of the panning people had problems with was like fucking going around the underwater firing woods with the music notes and doing the stealth yeah and it's like between 35 and 45 hours these these points you're returning to these places and yeah yeah music notes and all the stealth stuff and you know it's yes. like there's a lot there's a lot um and it's it's yeah it, it definitely i can see the critique for it i totally understand it we'll see what, how you feel when you get there yeah i'll see how i feel but i think for now what is really striking me about skyward sword is its vibes man like and i think this is one of the things that latently i knew when i played it at the time it's just a really comfortable game you know it's a setting for me that is a lot nicer to be in than twilight princess twilight princess has a a darkness a weirdness to the environments and a grittiness that Mm. zelda 
does do well in ways and i think certainly there are moments of, of twilight princess and its dungeons that are fantastic but the vibe of being in that world isn't a cozy one in the same way that skyward sword is like all the environments like the foreign woods the the music that goes along with that kind of the orchestrated score for this game is outstanding and it's one of the best zelda soundtracks in my opinion i think they're so we went and saw the the zelda orchestra after this yeah. game came out yeah we did uh, and it was a banger man it was, it was fantastic and the series obviously a series known for its phenomenal soundtracks but skyward sword for me is up there with the best zelda soundtracks like there are some incredible tunes um and the way that they use music um you know Gruce's theme popping in and the way that that goes and changes throughout the game and yeah the overworld theme and skyloft just the the music of skyloft is just really nice and chill and there's something nice about the lack of you know danger in the sky of like flying around to these places and doing the little gratitude um crystal side quest it's just again like it's one of those things that is a bit intangible in terms of like why do i like this but is this combination of like the visuals and the music and all that stuff that just makes it a nice comfortable chill game to sit down in an evening and play and that's like contrasted with i've been playing a bunch of shadow of the tomb raider and i never want to play that at night because there's some zombies going on and it's dark areas and it's like like my tension my tension level yeah control as well my tension level just raises in a way that like in an evening after work i just want to have something that's nice and relaxed and skyward sword is we're nintendo uh, gamers that's what we want yeah exactly bread and butter it's just so but the other thing is so beautiful this game is gorgeous and i can't understate that enough like i i love the original art style for skyward sword and the way that they made the impressionistic look happen where it like blurs the environment until you get closer to it uh, and like turned it into these little kind of almost hexagonal things that kind of approximated what the object was through color like it was really clever and that is not as omnipresent in terms of its like it's not as strong of an effect i think because of the higher resolution they don't necessarily need to do it and they they try to approximate it i don't think it works as well however the game is still stunning like i absolutely Mm. love the art style of skyward sword and i think it translates super well when you put it into hd like it's the same as wind waker it's a timeless look that remains really really nice to this day and um and yeah and so it makes it the other so that's the other thing this is the first 3d zelda to run at 60 frames per second and let me tell you ali i didn't think it was going to be that big a deal but it's mind-blowing like it is so nice to have a 3d zelda that runs at 60 it's awesome and i wish that none of the other hd remakes manage it no twilight princess doesn't wind waker doesn't and wow wow i would really like them to do that if they bring those games across because it makes such a difference in terms of the look and the feel of the game especially the responsiveness when it comes to the motion controls right um i was gonna i was gonna say that i've got two key crucial questions yes one have you found the controls because a lot of people are having a right moan about it online yeah and two are you confident that this proves they can handle metroid prime 3 when it comes out Mm. as part of the trilogy interesting so i think we already had a case study for this and we talked about it a bit earlier this year with mario galaxy on the nintendo switch Uh, it was mixed it was mixed yes uh so here's the interesting part about these controls i mean a lot of people have talked about this but it is true and worth keeping in mind i think the wii controls were better if only because what the wii had that the switch lacks was the ir sensing capability and so on wii what would happen 
Sorry? It's just more immediate, isn't it? It's more sensitive. Well, so, so what happens is the way that the motion control works in Skyward Sword is based on gyro movement, right? Mm-hmm. So the the system doesn't actually know which way you're pointing. It just knows relative motion, right? Like where the sword is relative to where you are at the current yeah. point. Which means that the way in which that you aim stuff can sometimes get completely out of control and this happened in galaxy as well where you constantly had to press a button to recenter to recenter every time to make sure that it was in the middle of the screen otherwise it just drifts right there's this this kind of gyro drift that occurs yeah well just stop moving across there's no center point to ground it the thing that skyward sword did on the wii was the ir motion the the pointer factor that used the sensor bar which is the thing that the wii was built around to begin with before motion plus that acts as a recentering thing on its own it's almost an auto recalibration yeah so because you are constantly like pointing at the screen you never really like it would happen from time to time but it was super rare that i found i needed to recalibrate the controls on wii because that ir sensor was auto recalibrating every time that it it kind of took a center point of like ah you're pointing at the screen now so i know to recenter where the gyro is and so that was a much better way of doing it what happens here is similar to mario galaxy because there is lack of uh, ir there is no sensor bar to reground you it will drift and there'll be times where like i'm using the beetle the beetle's going off it goes to a place and then it comes back to me and all of a sudden link is just starts turning around in a circle because it thinks the gyro is off somewhere to the right and so it just keeps he just keeps moving i have to press y to stop him and it's annoying I don't think it ruins the experience of the motion controls because I do think, you know, I've always been someone who defends them and, and thinks like they work and they are mm. a really clever thing. And, they, and you've they... been using that and not the stick stuff that yes. they've done. Right. Yes. So that's the other factor here is there are stick controls now and you can play with them if you want. I don't want to. Um, and it would be nice because the thing is like this game looks amazing on uh, TV or on, on monitor. I'm actually, I'm playing it on my big monitor, my new one, which is 1440p. But that said, Switch games are looking really nice on this thing. I've been playing Great Ace Attorney on it and also Skyward Sword and it looks fantastic. So I'm having no issues in terms of uh, visual fidelity. But on the handheld, it looks even nicer because of the squash down screen because of the way it's done it's like crisp and beautiful and man that new switch oled i'm sure will be very nice to play this game on um but that is if you can handle the button controls and that's a an interesting factor because i think they made the wrong decision essentially you use the analog stick to control the sword however the analog stick is now also used for camera control which wasn't present in the wii version because of course there wasn't a second analog stick and so the way you moved link around and recentered him was using the zr or zl whatever button it was z on on the nunchuck to go back behind where his back is right so you recenter behind his back so the camera swings around and i was fine with that on wii because i kind of got used to it with a lot of different games and, and it didn't really bother me but now that i'm so used to using the analog stick especially with motion controls you can use the analog stick and motion controls at the same time so there's no compromises there when you switch to handheld obviously you you need to have a way of using the stick that is using the camera as well as a way of using it with the sword so what was their great idea hold down the l button which lets you use the camera but the wrong decision there is that 
most of the time playing this game, you're not going to be using your sword. You're going to be using the camera because a lot of this game, especially in Skyloft, you're just kind of running around the place and you're not using your sword for anything necessarily because there's no enemies. You're just talking to NPCs and exploring the space and flying and that type of thing. And so the idea that you hold down L to do the thing that you're going to be doing more in the game is super weird to me. Like, at least give a toggle. At least, like, have a toggle that switches between them so you only press it yeah, once. It's just but, typical Nintendo. They don't give the option. It's just that people yes. just want that option. It's like 100%. everyone's going to have their own preference as to whether it should be like this or that. But everyone, other developers by this point would have been like, yeah, we put in a toggle, you know? Yeah, or at least had a menu where you can rebind or decide the way you want to do it. But, like... The idea that, like, even if they had changed it around where you still had to hold it, but you only had to hold it when you were doing sword fights. I think part of the reason they didn't do that is because when you're fighting in a Zelda game, you're holding down the ZL or ZR to lock on to an enemy. So, like, the idea that you'd have to hold down two shoulder buttons in order to use the sword, probably from Nintendo's perspective, was like, oh, that's too complicated for people. We can't do that, right? Uh, And you have to remember, Skyward Sword is a game that was built very excruciatingly in some senses around uh new people and they're like oh we've got to get all these new people who bought a wii to you know get in with this game make it simpler for them make it understandable and that's i think that's why you have such heavy tutorialization and why it is so simplified in in certain aspects um turned out skyward sword sold like shit and most of those people who bought a wii for wii sports did not play skyward sword because it's not the type of experience they were looking for and so nintendo almost you know screwed themselves by designing this game first and foremost for a player base that ultimately was never going to play the game <laughs> so um so yeah th- that was unfortunate but um but yeah i i have messed around with the button controls i just can't get used to it my head can't get around the idea of like having to hold the button to do the camera controls because i'll forget about it and then i'll be like oh yeah let's swing the camera around because like you do it subconsciously when you play video games it's like move the camera and i'm like okay let's move oh what no he's got his sword out no okay now i have to hold and then swing it just it becomes a faff and mm. i don't want to deal with it and it's it sucks so um yeah i i think a lot of people were like yes button controlled that's the only way and i've heard loads of people who have talked about they played the game exclusively with button controls that's the only way they played it and i'm like that's just not the experience here it's not why this game is good right frankly the motion controls for me are the crux of what makes skyward sword interesting and why the combat is so unique and fun um and and it's just it's not what i want to be doing when i'm playing skyward sword Mm -hmm. so yeah this is one of those rare games where i've played it before but i am headphones in joy cons out full screen blast me with that goodness and i'm just gonna immerse myself in it and focus on it and, and not do anything else which is really rare but it's also you know i really do love skyward sword and its design and and the way that the world is is built and it's unique in the sense that it is like i've talked about the mario 64 of zelda games where you like you kind of almost go into paintings right by like going down to these parts of the land that don't really connect at all they're very separate but they are like super well designed in terms of their linearity and the puzzles and there have certainly been puzzles like there was one yesterday that i was like um how do i do that i totally like had forgotten how to do the puzzle which is always the best thing you want kind of when you want to come back to zelda games Mm -hmm. is you want to re-experience the discovery and the kind of understanding again because you know uh that's kind of the joy of a lot of the dungeons and and the overworld stuff that you go through so it's it's been fun uh you know revisiting it and i think i will i will obviously finish it up and and get through it but it's a long game so it'll take me probably quite a while and uh yeah i will say that i think the motion controls when it comes to fighting regular enemies the bokoblins are my least favorite um and they're i think they are 
probably a sticking point for a lot of people coming into this game because you like that last minute block and they change their yeah they so they they change their stances between like up and down and left and right and you can't so if they hold it to the left you would think that you can go to the right and swipe at them but that's not how it works with those guys like if they're holding it left and right it means you can't hit them from either left and right side you have to go up or down and if they're holding it up or down you can't hit them from either one you have to go okay. left or right so it's, it's very much a binary with those guys and i think that was a struggle people had early on because they're like oh but look that's an opening he's only guarding to the left surely i can hit him from the right but if you try to hit him from the right he will instantly block you on that side and so those guys become just a pain to deal with frankly the best way to deal with them is either to use the slingshot to like ping a bit of um a bullet at them and it stuns them and then you can go in on them or you can parry them with the shield where you wait for them to attack and then you just bash back and then you get a free opening but i have found that like because they switch so quickly like left right up down like they just go so quickly and you want to be precise with your motion controls and you take a bit longer to get a, a, a move off before they move it, so often especially now in the desert area where they have electric staff i was like you know i'm just not gonna attempt to fight them this way i'm just gonna try and cheese them uh because they're not that fun versus i think a lot of the other enemies like the piranha plants i fucking love the piranha plants especially the ones that change their mouth to left and right or up and down yeah. those are it's just, great it's like, much better telegraphed like what they're totally and like the sound design and the feel of when you slash it just feels really good i I don't know i've always enjoyed it and i think you know those enemies where the three-headed guys remember where you have to like slice them in a line diagonally Mm -hmm. or or like the mini boss the skeleton who has his openings which works in the way that you expect to where you do have to do the specific angle um the girahim boss fight is fantastic like it's one of my favorite boss fights I think that stuff when it comes to the more one-on-one duels or like the enemies that focus that way so much more enjoyable it's unfortunate that the main enemies of the game the bokoblins they're fucking everywhere they're the ones you have to fight the most they're the ones i hate fighting the most so that kind of sucks final um, point on metroid prime 3 um oh in terms of how they're gonna do that is it possible i don't know man they will do it i'm sure but i just don't a little bit jank it'll be a little bit jank yeah um a lot of resetting well i well the thing is right yeah i guess it's maybe easier with prime 3 because you have a model in prime 2 and prime 1 to work from in terms of button controls and so like like putting it back to button controls for that i hope they don't make the same mistake and also i believe retro studios would be the studio to work on that and so maybe i think they would have a bit more sense i'm just you know from the perspective of like internal nintendo and what their decision get made i feel like i i as a western studio retro studios might be a bit more aware of these issues that people have um and so they they might be more willing to to make it a lot more palatable if they're the ones even working on the trilogy if yeah if supposedly it's been done for seven years right it's sitting on a disc somewhere (laughs) and somebody's gonna ship it out but um but yes thoroughly enjoying skyward sword hd uh really glad i'm revisiting it and uh yeah i'm sure i'll have a bit more to say about it next time, but uh, Bali, we both one playing... Zelda game to well, another hmm, Zelda oh, game. Yeah, uh, this is this is a point of contention uh, that neither uh, I don't agree with. Okay, um, I'll, I'll break it down. We're talking about Death Door. Death but Door. Yes. I will say if you're going if you're going between areas and worlds and going into dungeons and fighting bosses, the the video game you know language has just evolved to the point where people would des- describe that as a Zelda game, even if mechanics within that necessarily aren't 
particularly Zelda-like. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah. Right. I don't know. I, I, you know, there are a lot of parts of this game that are quite Zelda, but um, it's yeah. So Death Door is a it's kind of like a top-down action isometric ga- game. Um, it's from the developers who made Titan Souls, uh, a game that I played and talked about on the show a few years ago, um, which was a boss rush game, kind of Shadow of the Colossus-esque, where it's a 2D top-down game. You're fighting bosses. You have this one arrow that you shoot, and then you call it back to you. Um, and yeah, it's one hit, one death, basically. So very tricky uh, but interesting design um and so yeah death door came out and currently not on switch but feels like a nintendo yeah, nintendo game xbox um, and pc exclusive for now but uh, yeah and it's not on game pass surprisingly yeah and it's a weird one that isn't it you know yeah and it's just it's this is my kind of game like i i absolutely love this game and where a zelda game like an oracle game or something is you know 15 to 18 hours long and that's kind of only if you mainline it like if you want to do the extra stuff we're talking like 20 hours to 25 arguably like what i love about this game is it telegraphs so early on there's going to be three dungeons three areas and that's it and like because i knew and they they say this very early on it's not spoilers or anything but the fact that they make that so clear to you as the player made me so much more keen to have a bit more of an explore and try and collect some stuff so i ended up the game i i think i ended up with like 11 of the let me get this right so it's like out of the 16 collectibles parts i got like nine of them and you know out of the the smaller collectible things i think i got three quarters of them and i got all the weapons in the game like i had a real urge to just explore and look for stuff i didn't want to get everything i couldn't be bothered to look up guides and get everything and stuff like that but i just had this real urge to explore a bit more and i think a bold decision the game makes is there's no map and i really love that because i don't think the the dungeon design is overly complicated in terms of its difficulty and the way it constantly loops back i really think it reminds me of like wind waker dungeons where you'll go off on like an angle a tangent and then you'll defeat some enemies do some puzzles and it'll loop back to like the central main corridor Um, very similar to skyward sword in a way as well and and i think dark souls is also known for this kind of short cutting um approach where you die but it's less of a pain to get back to where you die because you have created those uh shortcuts yeah. to get back through and this game does that really really well in a way that is super impressive and and it almost knows when the player is going to die and has built the game design in such a way the world design that you will always have a shorter easier approach back to where you were than you did the first time through because you had to circumvent and then go around and then open up a door uh, that type of thing so yeah it's very clever and and like a game like wind waker everyone was like well the dungeons are very easy but i think they're made so much more easier by the fact you have a map so just take away the map and i wouldn't say you could describe those dungeons as easy in the same way like they they are still simple and yeah but having to memorize where everything is i just re- and the fact that it is only like a three area three dungeon game whatever made it was just really appealing to me it just felt just the right size and there's some fantastic writing in there i think the world design is very impressive and um it's just a really really well put together well made game um it's very, very polished right like very that's polished. the thing that struck me about it is um it feels like a team that took a lot of time and titan souls was a good game i don't think it was incredible but it feels like a team that has especially when it comes to boss fights really learned a lot from that first experience 
and then when it came to the other stuff i think they're like they get there like they do a good job but to me it felt a little formulaic in terms of all the three areas you go to the main ones after you've kind of done the opening boss and the opening kind of um part of the game it was very much a structure of okay here's an area you go through fight some enemies then you go to a kind of quote-unquote dungeon which is more about finding four people um in different areas and then you just go back to a central hub uh, do a similar fight and then go through another area and there's a boss and it was very very structured in a similar way that didn't surprise me ever and never really you know did something out of the ordinary like all the items you get are pretty much like yeah i would expect that type of item I, I agree mechanically i think the game has some nice surprises in terms of like it's world building and plot especially near the end like i was quite like oh that's that's cool i like what we're doing here and yeah and i guess that's the other thing is like you care about that stuff way more than me in, in a game like this for me i will never i just don't care about the story like it's, it's it was okay it's like you, you can care about a story in yeah. an action game when you want to like that. yeah i can do but totally. i think but... yeah this one for me was like it's it's fine it was okay i didn't i just wasn't invested in any way i was far more interested in this from a purely like let's hit things and dodge out the way of things right like that's kind of what i want from this experience and that and it did give it to me quite well that's very reductive i think they've done a really is, great yes. job of some of the characters and the design and that does link to like the story and this what they're telling yeah no that's that's not to take away from that stuff it's just on a personal it's on a personal level i i don't care that much <laughs> you know that's that's all it is it's like they've done a great job of making this i just don't care that much um and it's just what i bring to the experience right um but yeah, I, th- I think for me it's really interesting because I, I, this game has been getting so much praise from people as like game of the year material. And I think you're probably in a bit of that conversation. You probably have those feelings. And for me, I'm like, yeah, but like Hyperlight Drifter was better than this, you know? Like, I, and maybe it's because I had already played Hyperlight Drifter. And from what I know of that game, it's very different, though. You know, like it's a lot more focused I... on the action and not the dungeon level design in the same way. I don't think so necessarily. Like I feel, that, and then when you talk about dungeon level design stuff, like most of this game is rooms where you kill enemies. Like there's very light puzzle solving, really light stuff that doesn't take much thought and isn't. I wouldn't even really describe them as puzzles necessarily. Uh, maybe they're, they're light puzzles. They are very yes. light. And Hyperlight Drifter does a very similar thing, right? And ha- as someone who has played both games, they feel very much of a muchness in terms of what they are trying to do, where they are. I think a lot of people will describe them as Zelda games, but for me, they are just top-down action games that are far more combat-focused than they are any other element of, of that experience. But but again, you're an action-focused gamer, and yes. the reasons that people are loving this game are the characters, the world, the action on top of like the music, the boss fight. Like oh, the music, yeah. That, if you, if, you're, great, if yeah. you reduce it to action, I can totally see where Hyperlight yeah. will, will surpass it in many ways. And sure, you've, yes. You've said how... like much faster and responsive the dashes and they're definitely yeah. going for like the very slow souls like dash on this game on yeah purpose. so it's not even a dash it's a roll right it's a, it's so a like slow it's, roll yeah it's a slow and... roll with a cooldown and like as soon as i started playing the game i was like i don't like this why why is there a cooldown with this roll it's too much of a cooldown you know like so i i will instantly fall into my very pedantic like mechanical things where i'm like sure like this doesn't like, feel good um but previous yeah. indie darlings that the industry have gotten behind like your hollow knights your celeste your yes. hades they are all so much more than their action gameplay. And I yeah, think totally. that's why Death's Door is just a bit like Chicory earlier this year. Like that game yeah, has its yeah. flaws in my eyes, but like people are like the overall, I think 
indie darling has more often than not recently been more defined by the overall presentation rather than just mechanics and maybe that's not a healthy trend for the industry but it's clearly what the industry sees as an indie darling and that's why this game Totally. definitely in the conversation for like indie darling of the year game of the year kind of I th- yeah i think just thing. to wrap this up and my, my thoughts on why personally it doesn't resonate for a game of the year i think this game is excellent just to be clear i think it is really really fun the boss fights are superbly designed like some of those end boss fights are fantastic really enjoyable to figure out and learn the patterns and get through had yeah, a great time so with good. it but it doesn't do anything new that's the thing for me is like a, a, a game like hades or celeste or these games that you talked about the reason for me that they're important is because they are innovating in a way that games haven't done and death door is an excellent it's like it is such an iterative game it is really iterative and that's fantastic and we can have amazing iterative games but when it comes to a game of the year conversation for me innovation and newness will always be more important um and so that's why i think personally it, it, it's not necessarily up there for me but i do understand that different people value things differently in that yeah way. I, so, I agree it's not as innovative but i do think taking the 15 hour zelda dungeon style structure and reducing it to three dungeons as simple as it is is quite a nice innovation and one of my yeah. strongest like positives for me with the game um, mm-hmm. and i think that how many people, especially in the industry where they play games and bounce off them, and that's not to say they don't like those games, but they, you know, they, they have, they don't have the time to do it. And because so many people playing a ton of games were able to beat this game. I think that will also have given it a boost where people are like, I actually managed to yeah. play this whole game. I think it's really... actually like a really nice length as well. And so I didn't good. do as much exploring as you. I, I beat it in about seven and a half hours. And, um, you know, that's that's really great, you know, like uh, uh, an experience like this that, you know, and I, I wanted to play it every night, you know, like I, I'm, you know, I, I'm having these, uh, it maybe feels like I'm criticizing it a bunch, but I, I had a great time with it, you know. I think it's a really excellent, well-made thing. And um and yeah and and some of those things in terms of combat and the weapons i think there were definitely slight frustrations of okay for some reason i'm turned around here and i'm i'm hitting it air for some reason i felt that happened a few times of like i'm hitting this enemy and then something happens and all of a sudden i'm turned around and i'm hitting the other direction i'm not sure why um but yeah those are minor complaints i think in what is otherwise a getting joy con drift in that brand new xbox controller of yours no 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 of course not no (laughs) definitely that's not the case i think yeah there's there's just there's a little bit of um tightening that could be done in certain areas like the final boss with some of the quick use of a certain item to get past areas that didn't always lock on in the way that i think it should have done and that that type of thing that was yeah minor in the grand scheme um but but yeah good stuff yeah yeah i it's i like that it kind of was a game i didn't know about at the start of the year although i think it was public at the start of the year and then Mm -hmm. it got a big boost at e3 and then it did the thing that indie games never seem to do which has come out slightly after their hype has peaked um which i think is fantastic for this game so it is ridden that wave incredibly well and has kind of come out at a time just before we're into a ton of late summer autumn releases um which i think is it's always important to try and come out a good time and yeah i i again it plays on this theme of death that was just such a big factor last year and the sort yeah. of the the afterlife um yeah i guess we haven't really talked about the context of the the world and the game it's like you are a crow like you're a, a walking kind of and you are reaping souls yes. yeah anthrop- anthropomorphic crow and the crows in this world are kind of reapers they like kill they have certain souls they have to go after and kill them and that's another thing that like 
it's very it's taking from dark souls in terms of oh they're called souls and like the tone of the world and kind of in some senses the combat but um the nice thing about this game is it doesn't do that hollow knight dark souls thing of when you die you lose everything it's like yes. no it's fine you, you just yeah. you're, you can just go and that's great i actually way prefer that that's a very valuable loop i found um yeah. and i definitely felt like i was well reward, rewarded for my exploring and defeating more enemies and mm-hmm. all those go into your into your boost but um but narratively i know the theme of life and death has been covered a lot i still think this game does have something valuable to add in a positive light at the end of the game um yeah i won't spoil that as like that's a nice that's a nice sort of cherry on top and nice message to say um that i thought just made hmm. a short fairly you know well very short but narrative driven action whatever you want to call it game i thought it was just fantastic um i'm wholly impressed and yeah i wouldn't be surprised if this does i think this and chicory are probably the two indie games of the year so far but i'm sure there's going to be more to come and that will be an interesting discussion later in the year yeah totally um and yeah you should you should play hyperlight drifter i don't i don't think you'll like it as much as death's door because i think we value different things right um and the reason i think the reason i like hyperlight drifter more is like the dash is better in hyperlight drifter and, like it comes down to that i should try mm. and play it before solar ash which did that get released date this year yeah it? it did i think it's october solar yeah, ash is coming so out which like, seems like a very different yeah. game like it's more of a platformer and like a kind of movement traversal game than hyperlight drifter was i think that's a really good example where in a 2D setting, these games might look fairly similar, but then when you try and extrapolate that, like a game like Solar Ash, which is doing a lot of ideas of Hyperlight Drifter but in a 3D setting, and then you realize, yeah, it's a very different game from like yeah. Store. Visually, I sense. think they're very similar, but like in terms of what the game actually is, yeah, yeah very different. So, definitely, yeah. definitely. So yeah, check out Death Store. It yeah, it will come to Switch. I think it will probably be Switch next year. Um, but Maybe. I, yeah, I don't know what the deal looks like on the Xbox side, but um, yeah. And I also worry a little about its performance because it's a very nice looking game. They clearly were pushing, um, you know, polygons in terms of yeah. It was a little framey here and there on series x not oh boy really okay. not framey is a strong word i don't mean framey i mean like there's the character you itself was stuttering at points but i've heard this okay. has happened on pc as well so like it's okay it's more yeah. to do with the game than the optimization than the like running of it i've got to, I've got to get that uh, 3080 man i run at 140 frames per second like i did get that ultimate maximum you were saying your character was doing something funny like the uh, i don't know maybe i did um, i don't remember yeah but i don't remember the end of the game you're talking about either so that's how much i was <laughs> paying attention to the narrative so Jeez. but you check out you're like 10 minutes into a game you're like yeah. this story isn't for me i'm just gonna yeah. enjoy the action and not care about anything else yeah, yeah and yeah. then by the end yeah. of the game you're like yeah i don't know what the story was about yeah like, well if you'd kind of like read past page 10 you might have realized it's quite a good Look, story no, I, I think i have this habit of like i read something but it just doesn't go into my brain like it happens when i'm reading sometimes but usually when i'm reading i'll go back over it and be okay I need to reread that and um and yeah and so when it's something that i'm not that like i don't care that much about yeah. i'm like okay I, I think i've worked out i absorb myself into video game worlds sometimes quite a lot more than you're in a consistent yeah i basis. think that's what it is um, it must be that yeah and it's I, uh, like i try and stay away from podcasts generally especially on games like this and i'll just be in the mu- like the music in this game is top top notch oh it's and, fantastic yeah um, really really like, the boss fight music especially some of the um that the area that you go to where you get there's moments where you get chomped up by this che- treasure chest and you get dumped into this area this is a great zelda nod i love that 
Yeah, and also the titling, like the way when you die, it just says death, but it cuts out like the background of where you died. And so that's the most devolver thing of the whole game because the rest of the game doesn't feel particularly devolver. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is true. It's like, uh, but... um, like Ape Out, you know, there's a lot of that in Ape yes. Out. Ape Out, not Ape Out. Ape. Yeah. It is Ape Out, Ape yeah. Out. What am I yeah. thinking of? Yeah. Yeah. Ape Escape, not, not Ape, Ape Escape, like the classic Escape. PlayStation game, no. Um, but yeah, like it has it has really good titling when you like get to a boss and it's just like big white bold letters, you know. Really good um kind of build up, you know, to, to those fights and uh and moments of like avarice just pops up on the screen and you're like, Oh shit, and then the music pops and like, yes. oh man, oh, yeah. Yeah. Really good. Really good hype. Good hype. Yeah. So, so it's a fun game. I enjoyed it. Um the next game we're going to talk about uh briefly i think is the ace, the great ace attorney uh which i have uh, obviously been very excited for uh i as you will recall if you've been listening for a little while played the fan translation of the 3ds game because to break this down real simply these are two ace attorney games that came out exclusively in japan on the 3ds one in 2015 one in 2017 um, and they never had a western release and there was a lot of speculation as to why part of it is i think the sherlock holmes licensing stuff um, which is really weird and i think i've i kind of understand it now which I, I wasn't sure about before because they're like sherlock holmes should be public domain but isn't with certain things because certain stories and the conan doyle estate and stuff is all fucked up man it's basically so what it boils down to is if sherlock holmes is being emotional quote-unquote or like stuff like that and not like cold and calculated that is a copyright that is still held by the conan doyle estate and so you can't have a product that has sherlock holmes where he's quote-unquote emotional um which is a really weird and i don't because that doesn't make much sense because i think the sherlock holmes bbc show was like that and there's like there've been movies frankly i don't really understand it copyright law is fucked uh disney <laughs> fucked it all up and their stupid mickey mouse nonsense it's yeah it's it's a bit of a nightmare but basically what they've done to circumvent that is they've just called him herlock Sholmes, and that's it just switch spoonerism they just did a spoonerism his name is now herlock Sholmes, and uh that's that so so yeah um the other thing is uh that these games they are a package really and they're interesting from the perspective of other ace attorney games which tend to be kind of standalone one of my negatives i would say of the first game was that when it ended it didn't really answer a lot of questions it like it left loads of stuff open it was just like okay well God, we solved like that. <laughs> we solved some of these cases but like the big mystery like the the first case of the first game has a murder happen um and i'll spoil it because it's not literally the first thing that happens in the entire game there is a person who is killed who is called uh dr wilson in this game but it's clearly Mm. dr watson it's watson Mm -hmm. from the sherlock holmes books but he is in japan and he is killed and the person who kills him you never know why or what goes on with that and the rest of the game never really addresses it because after that you go off to the uk and, and most of this game is set in meiji era japan and uh victorian era britain right so it's like early 1900s late 1800s era where the the setting is and the other the really interesting thing about these games is that more so than any other phoenix Wright games the setting is super important in terms of 
the political goings-on of like the relationship between britain and japan and what is happening there and the machinations mm. in the background that is actually a core part of and it seems like it's going to be a part of the core plot of the second game um though i haven't got far enough in the second one to know yet i'm, I'm in the about two hours into the second case of game two and they um, came as one package one disc as it were uh, on switch yeah so on on, switch. on, on, on Sw- because in japan they were two separate games yeah, yeah. and, and um, i mean for this release yeah yes yeah for this release it's one cartridge but there's, n- there's no cartridge i think in europe i got this digitally also the other thing i wanted to bring up is like when you compare this to famicom detective club uh and the way that was handled by nintendo versus this and by capcom these are quite frankly two much longer more expansive uh, yeah. more modern visual novel style detective style games that are a fraction of the price of the remakes of famicom detective club games which are great and i enjoyed but are very old-fashioned in terms of their design and that's that's just capcom versus nintendo right that's just their i think so i feel like business models. part of it is these were 3ds games that haven't been like the the famicom detective club were like quote-unquote full-blown remakes but in my mind they're remakes in the same way that link's awakening were where they basically changed nothing you mean nintendo remade a game and demanded full price for it i don't believe you mm yeah no i know i know it's it's a stupid thing <laughs> that i shouldn't be surprised by but it's like when i'm talking to people of like which one should you buy the famicom detective club games or this and like this by far with a bullet <laughs> no question like this yeah. is a better game this is a better experience um even visually like one of the things with capcom on the 3ds they were like fucking ninjas like no a company aside from nintendo capcom were like the only company that challenged nintendo when it came to visuals on the 3ds like look at stuff like resident evil revelations like how the fuck did they get that to work on that mm, system yeah. it's nuts man and the ace attorney games they've always been filled with amazing character animation yeah. and stuff they've like that good all the way since gba exactly yeah right. they've, they've looked fantastic since then but the transition they made to 3d on 3ds was nothing short of stunning because i think there are a lot of series which when they go 3d like they can they cannot do as great a job right like you look at something like bloodstained which is trying to do the castlevania thing in two and a half d and it looks good but it's not like amazing what capcom did with the fire emblem fire, fire emblem as well yeah okay. i i also agree with that but what capcom did in translating the look of the gba slash ds games onto the 3ds is remarkable because these characters look the same but they are now even more expressive they have great animation like it's just beautiful stuff both these games on switch that have just come out skyward sword and ace attorney like two peak examples of what you can do with this system when you build for it and when you like have an art style that works that is just stunning and and yeah the game is absolutely gorgeous and you know i i think that it's a good entry point for people right because it is so removed from the main phoenix Wright timeline right you have six games going on in that thing and so if you want to get into the series it's best to like start with the first one with the trilogy and go through that way but then you can't really just jump in at any other point i guess latent versus right is the other jumping in point for these types of games which is one of my favorites um but because this is so standalone and it's a different time period different era and these two games are so tied together it makes sense for new people to jump into them um so so yeah i would i would say it's a good starting point if you are interested in the series um and want to get to know it a bit and and they do do interesting different stuff in this game because they have a jury system and because 
obviously Japanese legal. I don't know. I actually don't know if the Japanese legal system is that similar nowadays to ours. And a lot of the game implies that their system will change because of influence mm. from the West. Um, but when they go to the UK, it's like, oh yes, there, there are. There's a jury, and so there are six jurors that you have to convince throughout the case, basically. So it's like a slightly different setup. They... I know that like Japan's first big internet, like European partner, traditionally was the Netherlands before it was ever. Oh, interesting. Do the UK? I think the UK was a yeah. bit later. Yeah, totally. Um, and I'm I'm sure they they'll talk about some of the historical stuff in this game. Actually, is pretty. Uh, on point um one of the main characters is this guy called uh soseki natsume and he is a real life author who went to the uk from japan he's an actual real wow. and he's he's one character who they've just done his real name they haven't done any anything there it's just he's the <laughs> character um and reading a little bit about him actually because i i learned about this from uh the back page podcast which is a podcast that features matthew castle who used to be on onm and endgamer and stuff like that uk magazines um it's a good a really good podcast but they did an episode that uh ranked his favorite ace attorney games and when he was talking about this game he mentioned this fact and i was like oh that's interesting so i I went and looked it up and it turns out that this guy he was in the uk for a couple of years as an author and he hated it like he a bunch of racism and that's another thing this game deals with like anti-japanese racism from the british characters is so prevalent and like it's something that i was a little worried about because it was very like overtly racist in the fan translation and i think they've tried to like make it work a little better here but it is very much like there's a bunch of it they're like these nipponese and stuff like that and they're very uh, especially the prosecutor and like some of the the British characters, like c- talking them is in like the realm of like savages and intellectually inferior and that kind of shit, you know, like mm. that kind of um, uh, racial superiority. And is it all set in the UK, or you bounce between the two? Well, so like the the first game starts in Japan, and then you travel to britain okay. and most of it takes place in britain and then the second game has a case that starts in japan and then you're back in britain again it's, it's a little weird and messed up but um but i'm going in a lot of different directions here but going back to uh, natsume the interesting thing that they do is his character in the game um he, so the real life guy hated being in in britain because of the racism because of all this shit and he had a terrible time there and a similar thing goes on with this character in the game but in this case like he's just has terrible bad luck and is you know always drawn into these cases where he becomes the suspect and so he reappears in the second game and there's another case where he's involved in and so it's yeah it's it's interesting because i didn't have that context before and then going and reading about it i was like oh wow they they have actually done uh, a cool thing here where they've kind of brought in these ideas and, and yeah just generally as an ace attorney game i think it's just more aware of the wider world and the context historically of what's going on uh, which is super cool but as base games uh, writing wise character wise they always do a fantastic job like the localization on these games is, is tremendous and like <clears throat> some of the specific characters in the first case of game one there's the prosecutor who you will have met in the first ace attorney he's the first prosecutor in the first case he's always the tutorial guy basically before you mean the meet the main prosecutor and his name is Payne, p-a-y-n and they have localized his name to ouchie a-u-c-h-i as in i feel pain or like ouchie that hurts you know that's his name uh for the ancient J- japanese meiji era version of this character uh, there's also a military guy who is called iyesa nosa i-y-e-s-a space n-o-s-a and th- you might look at that and be like that's just a they're just trying to do a weird japanese name but when you read it out 
it's it's like yes sir no sir because he's a military guy so he says yes sir no sir mm. uh so it's like kind of almost cringeworthy like puns but ever since um james jones on rfn pointed that stuff out that like they have these ridiculous pun names i always look out for them in ace attorney games and uh they do not disappoint in this one it's certainly uh they go over and above and beyond for that stuff so so yeah um i i'm really enjoying it again what i did was i played the first case of game one to refresh myself which was actually a really good idea because the first case of game two pretty much ties directly to the first case of game one so it was almost like oh i got this great refresher and then i knew exactly what was going on in the second game they do do a good job of getting people up to speed though so if you are jumping into the second one having played the fan translation you'll be fine but um you know i'm speaking to the converted here because if you've already played the fan translations you're already playing this right now and i don't need to convince you to, to buy the great ace study um but yes i'm i'm enjoying it quite a lot and i'm sure i will finish it for next time then i can kind of talk about my thoughts on on the whole thing um as it finishes so cool there you go greatest attorney you think we'll get a, the, a new game in the near future well there were the capcom leaks that happened uh oh, where a bunch yeah, of their stuff yeah. came out and so this was a part of that another part of it was a project titled ace attorney 7 so yes i do i do think it's happening probably next year uh and i am very excited to see what that is because we haven't had a uh... shall i try and play all the games before seven? Oh man that's uh well that's definitely gonna take <laughs> you some time these are they're long as you know having played the first one they are they are long ass games yeah they're long ass long games, games but i, I love did them. enjoy the I... first one though I, oh, yeah. I this is one of my favorite series i just oh it's so so good the twists and turns and all that stuff and, and figuring stuff it's just so satisfying to like look at a piece of evidence and think oh that's a contradiction and point it out like it's a different feeling to every other visual novel like it's so much more involved than than other types of games that are similar to this because it has that contradiction element and they add gimmicks into the different games but the core of it the core courtroom drama has always been so so good and the characterization all of it the writing fantastic stuff so Excellent. there you go um bally you've been playing another little game uh which uh made by hal hal one of our favorite little companies hal. obviously made make, box uh, boy they've yeah. also made kirby star allies on the switch uh-huh um yeah part-time ufo is a completely delightful game um, yeah. where you are playing as a it, it takes the, the the idea of like a ufo grabber and turns that into a whole game so you play as this little cute ufo who looks it does look a little bit like box boy to be fair but in ufo form i think the art style has a similarity definitely Definitely. and you are using your claw grabber in a number of different levels to complete very specific tasks so there are three medals per level and one of the medals per level is always for completing the exercise within the time limit Uh, but then there's also like a couple of others like you have to put this person on this stack in order to get this medal and then there's often some some other bonus um and it's some super zany japanese stuff in here so like you're like stacking cheerleaders in one of the levels to create like a human pyramid which just feels very strange picking up like this girl by her ankle and dropping her on the top like it's just bizarre um there's one where you're like stacking sumo wrestlers and again like they're all different sorts of shapes and sizes and you have to get them in like this line and then they and the physics one where you're fishing early on there's a bunch of fish and you pick them up and put them on the bay basically that's a good one yeah so they're not all stacking based there's a lot of them are just like picking up and collecting but kind of within a time limit kind of thing and there's a nice variety there like you are doing different things that all involve 
the claw uh the and like one of them is like you're you're making like a cake uh, or like a bowl of fruit and, and it, there's a nice mix there and it's all really zany stuff i think the physics engine itself actually is very fair like it works very well i think the level of precision they're asking of you is a really good level of challenge i don't think it's over the top where it just feels like everything is slipping and sliding and falling over but likewise you can't just be willy-nilly about the way you place things i think there's a really good balance of just skill mm. level that takes to to get to do it. And it's surprising so i've played a little bit of this i'm not that far into it but um it's to me this start as a mobile game and i yeah. really question like how easy it was to play there because for me a lot of it a digital analog stick i believe oh really yeah like because this really requires a lot of fine tuning of like i i spent moments of okay especially with that cheerleader one because it took me a little while to figure out how to get the maximum uh height in that to get that medal yeah, and i was like i'm just tricky. stacking them yeah. and like what order they go in and then i figured it out i was like ah got it but when you're doing it I, I was being so precise with the analog stick to just subtly get it so that it doesn't fall over um and especially there's um there are like these extra mini game kind of challenges that you unlock i guess a bunch along the way the first one you have to stack a bunch of random objects to a certain height there's not many of them there's like two or oh, they're three, not okay yeah. yeah i was wondering if those popped up too yeah. much but um but that one i was like holy how the fuck do i do i couldn't <laughs> i could barely hit 10 meters let alone 20 or 50 yeah yeah um, that, so that, that was hard so yeah, I didn't try that one. I didn't get... Did you finish that one? Because that, to me, seemed like... I didn't finish that one, but that one doesn't link to all, like, the main game... No, level, that, it, uh, it's like medals. a mini... It's almost like a WarioWare yeah, kind of yeah. side uh, mini game thing that you unlock. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah. I managed to get all 90 levels of the medals, I should say, of the 30 main levels. Um, yeah. And, yeah, they just they keep mixing up with the variety. You do return to some areas again, like they, they sort of have a second and third level often in some of them, but there is still that really good variety and it's just incredibly charming, incredibly well presented. I love that between levels, uh, part-time UFO, he has like this little flat, which is just like this <laughs> stereotypical Japanese flat. And you can see like a little like um, uh, train in the background and stuff. And he's got like his little calendar on the wall and it's just adorable, like the way it's presented. And yeah, yeah it's a really charming game. The, the music is great. There's like this one theme tune and then they essentially pipe that theme tune into lots of different styles for the different levels which i think is always a fun thing that some video games do um which it, it works really well it's it, it, it i think i did actually end up spending like close to eight nine ten hours getting everything if you just want to mainline it you can probably do it in like four or five but um, yeah it's a really cute charming game that is the sort of game obviously you will only get like on nintendo obviously your mobile phone in this case but mm, um, yeah it's awesome I, I i think i hope you like enjoy the rest of it emmy's because i think yeah, some, i'm having a great time so far more. i think it's as you mentioned like the weird situations they put you in of like and and some of them are, are quite tricky sometimes i uh, there was a moment where i was uh, putting stuff in a toy box and you also have to pick up these rings to put on an arm that's on the side of the toy box yeah, yeah. and sometimes it can get tricky to get stuff one of them got stuck on the side and there was the arm in the way and i couldn't like get my claw down there enough because it it kind of has an invincible or like invisible thing it does where if you're too close to an object it won't pick it up yeah and so it took me a little while to like like oh, get that out of there so there's there's a little bit of um fine tuning that could be used in, in certain areas of it but uh but yeah i've i similar to you have that compulsion to get all the medals in a level which is as we know not something we tend to do generally with games but not a ton 
there's a similarity here with this game being made by Hal, who also made Box Boy, another game where we both are very compelled to, like, get every crown in that game. So there is something about the way that Hal designs these levels, maybe in a similar way to what Nintendo does with the Galaxy games and the the 3D Mario games of, like, the main path is very easy to do. It doesn't take a lot of effort. But the real joy of the game, the real fun of it, is in finding those green stars. And so that version here is getting the crowns in box boy and getting the medals in this game it feels like you haven't actually finished the level until you've done that like sure yeah. you've you've done it but but and i think the challenges are simple enough and not super tricky at least from what i've seen so far to where they all feel manageable and enjoyable to do plus you get a bunch of currency for doing it similar to how box boy works where you can buy a bunch of costumes as a result yeah, which are fun little, little rewards <laughs> yeah. yeah so it is, it is really taking that same formula but applying it to this different gameplay style um and yeah they've just done such a great job with it, it it's so rare for me to get into a game and instantly be like oh this is great this is like so instantly i understand what's going on it's beautiful the pixel art is so so nice really colorful different weird locations you're going to and every situation they throw you into feels super unique right so there's there's that aspect that just draws me to it and yeah. um and makes me really really enjoying it so far so yeah i'm going to keep playing this as well and and we'll probably finish it by next time i but. should say as well that you do actually need the medals to progress but you only need that's a true. fraction of them to yeah to because i them. i think i got to the second level of page two and i'd already unlocked page four so i right. was like well it, ahead many. yeah it's, yeah so it's, so it's, it's, it's one of those point. rare situations where like that's a necessity but it doesn't matter that much and you will end up naturally having them if you play the game in that way which the yeah, game is kind of yeah. intended to be played in so yeah it's 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 different to how other companies do it like i think a good example of this is uh, donkey kong style games or ukulele in the impossible lair which definitely does this where you have to have stuff to progress and it can be a bit of a not ball ache necessarily the, but you do the, have to go back to levels again yeah stuff, the, the one know? mistake they make with well in particular ukulele is just they, they want quite a high number they don't want yeah. all of them but they want a number that's not far off all of them and that is yeah tough. like it's um, just a little too much you know yeah. and i i've played a bit of um horizon chase turbo which is this car racing kind of retro um like outrun kind of style car game that's very stylish and a lot of people uh enjoyed when it came out and uh i was enjoying it but then i realized i needed to win every race in order to get enough medals in order to unlock the next area and as someone who's not amazing at racing games i was like well i'm i would like to finish this but i don't think i can commit to doing it because you have this structure uh in there which kind of sucks um mm-hmm. and i guess that leads a little bit into the uh the next game i want to talk about which is jelly boy uh which is uh if people have been paying attention to nintendo's twitter uh which everyone does of course they uh obviously will be updating their super nintendo classic lineup uh, on the switch from time to time uh and jelly boy is a game which they have put on there which is a super niche game and everyone's mad about it because it's not earthbound um and uh and yeah this this game suffers from that similar problem of like you go into levels and you need to get all the puzzle pieces in order to unlock the boss and then get to the next stage which is probably why i won't end up finishing jelly boy but i just wanted to bring it up because i have played a bit of it and um it's remarkably bizarre in the way that a lot of early super nintendo games were but this one especially um you're kind of this blob this jelly blob who who makes it is this a japanese game 
it was made by ocean software i believe um the game has electronic arts listed so i wonder if mm. they published or something i'm not sound quite western though don't they yeah so ocean software i believe is, is a western studio but it um yeah you kind of like ditto almost if ditto was a human walking around with arms and legs you're this pink blob jelly guy who collects power-ups and then turns into different stuff so like he'll turn They're into British. a hammer um they're british okay so he turns into a hammer and smacks things and goes through weird toy box worlds and has this weird jump he'll turn into an umbrella when he's falling he'll turn into a springy pogo so there's like loads of different it's almost like mario odyssey in a way of like lots of different transformations that you go through to solve certain puzzles and get to certain areas um and certainly the platforming doesn't feel great there's a lot of bullshit in terms of like here's just a giant spike and you die on it um and that's why the nice thing of the rewind feature comes in on on that service and having save states and stuff like that uh, to make it just a lot more palatable because i wouldn't play this game otherwise it's just like a lot of old school design that's bad and not very well done um but yeah i don't know it was just a curiosity i was like you know what this thing seems fucking weird so i just want to check it out and so uh if if people do want to check out jelly boy it's definitely there for for the uh the looking but i yeah i'm not going to go through the whole thing because i looked up how long to be and it's like five and a half hours i'm like what the fuck a super nintendo yeah for a super nintendo platformer (laughs) it's a really long game um which i was kind of shocked by and uh yeah i think i kind of get the idea now i don't think i need to play a lot more jelly boy to have this revelation about it i don't think it's a very good video game but i think it was fun to uh just hop around in and check out and there's certainly a bunch of other games that have been added recently to the service because when i opened it up the other day it opened up a bunch that i hadn't checked before that were in the last batch um, and they've added joe and mac there and i i've played joe and mac too because i played that through the service a couple of years ago um but i want to play the first joe and mac which is the weird caveman game in my eternal search for my <laughs> caveman game i know this is not it but um I'm just going to play every caveman game. Uh, I think Prehistoric Man is another one that just got added. There's so many fucking caveman games for some reason. Not the Super Nintendo. I don't know why. Uh, but I will I will check that out. Uh, and uh, as we wrap up here, there's a couple of other games I wanted to mention. Uh, one is a game called Flatland Volume 2, uh, which was recommended by Patrick Klepek over on Waypoint. Um, and it's really simple uh, 2D platformer that was on Switch for a couple of quid um, and is very similar to Celeste slash Meat Boy style game where you are this little kind of shape and you jump around these levels very kind of retro-y future-y kind of um vibe where there's lots of lights flashing and and kind of spikes and you're this little blob who has a double jump and can ball jump and stuff and to be honest i don't remember that much about it it only took me an hour or so to beat looked a Um, lot like ink actually yeah kind of reminded me a bit of ink i think control wise it's not as tight as that game is um and uh, not quite uh, there's certainly some frustrations with the controls but i think overall as a kind of you know i'm the type of person who if a game in a genre like a metroidvania or like a hardcore platformer like this is there and it's like kind of subpar i'm totally fine with spending my time on that because i enjoy the base mechanics of that experience enough to where i'm like yeah this is a good time and yeah it's so cheap and uh worth checking out if you're interested in a super simple platformer that has those tight kind of controls and and quick deaths and quick restarts and lots of levels that you will just be done with in like less than 10 seconds it's like level done boom done boom and you just you crash through it man it's like i was sitting in in bed at night playing it listening to a podcast going through and it was um you know it's just kind of that dopamine hit of 
hardcore platforming that i really love personally so yeah i think the first game is on switch as well but the second one is is what was recommended and i think it's probably the better one because you know had a bit more time to work on it and uh improve stuff so flatland volume 2 super cheap super good uh and then i also played gunstar superheroes which is a gba iteration in the gunstar heroes franchise so gunstar heroes is a series that is made by treasure treasure a a company who i really didn't know much about until i started listening to podcasts back in 2011 with rfn and uh, and greg Leahy, who's a big treasure fan and um and they're the company that made sin and punishment and they made dynamite heady uh, a lot of sega stuff they worked on uh, in their early days and then you know had worked on other stuff like ikaruga which is a super hardcore uh shoot 'em up style game the very mechanics driven very kind of like action focused games like they're very kind of hardcore into that stuff and treasure have not made something since around 2014 so i don't really know what's going on with the company right now but um they are very beloved by a certain sect of kind of niche uh game uh lovers and and so gunsight heroes is this is this cult classic that is very contra-esque like you play as these characters running along shooting people you have these big guns and very much lasers and kind of futuristic stuff so a little more leaning to uh yeah that style versus contra which is alien and and definitely uh modern but a little less kind of uh super futuristic in style and and tone um and so gunstar heroes is is beloved in that way and there's actually a 3d version of gunstar heroes on the 3ds which i kind of want to check out now because i played through this game as a result of into the aether which is the podcast i listened to they did a massive episode on their favorite game boy advance games and they did this insane thing where over the few months or six months leading up to doing this episode they basically played as many game boy advance games as they possibly could uh which is like hundreds and hundreds of games of just like trying them and playing little bits of them and this was one of the ones that came out on one of their lists that was an unexpected one that i'd not really heard of before and i was like oh that sounds interesting a gba game i love the gba this is this seems like this deep cut that i've never heard of before and so I, uh, you know, I've been doing a bit more uh, emulation stuff recently. I've actually been looking at potential uh, retro handheld emulation stuff. Uh, went down a bit of a YouTube rabbit hole the other day looking at that. And um, and I don't know, it feels like this cool scene, especially with Nintendo, not doing a great job supporting older games. And um, yeah, RetroArch is just a great thing that makes emulation super easy and cool and just fun to do on a pc in a way that getting different separate emulators and stuff just wasn't back in the day um and you know i'm just i'm just kind of i feel like the conversation on emulation has gone around a bunch in, in different places and i i remember being scared on the show early on to be like oh i played this on my ace card on my ds because um i don't want to seem like a pirate <laughs> or whatever but i feel like the conversation on emulation has got to a point where like if you can't buy this legally who the fuck cares anymore right because ultimately your money will just be going to a person who isn't the company or the people who made it and like i can't give treasure my money for gunstar superheroes so why should i give a shit if i'm playing it on uh, an emulator (laughs) so um so yeah and and uh and and that's kind of where i'm at the moment i'm also playing soul blazer which is part of the quintet trilogy of action rpgs on the super nintendo um because i really want to play terranigma and get to that game so i'm kind of going through the whole trilogy of those at the moment so so yeah being in a bit of an emulation rabbit hole right now and i decided yeah let's play gunstar superheroes because they talked about it and it seemed really cool um and it is really cool it's like a pretty short game uh in in terms of how long it takes from start to finish and i played it on easy because these games are infamously difficult um but it was 
was really enjoyable. It's, it's the type of Contra experience that is kind of shrunk down to the handheld. Uh, you've got side-scrolling levels. You've got levels where you're on a plane kind of shooting in multiple directions. There's some really cool boss fights that you do. Um, and yeah, it's it's just a well-made action romp that you blast through. You've got three different guns you can choose from. One of them is like a homing-in missile. One of them is a kind of blast. And one of them is just a regular kind of bullet smasher where it just pumps bullets into enemies. Um, and it was just enjoyable to go through one of the campaigns as two characters you can play as and i i just went through as one and i think there's not much of a difference aside from their main weapon is different so story-wise and stuff things change if you play on harder difficulties or if if you play as both characters but i just did one run through as the base character and um and had a great time with it honestly it's uh, it has some fun ideas like it it has a lot of different stuff that it does in terms of level design where it's not just running from left to right and shooting there's a lot of sometimes you are in a vehicle sometimes that vehicle is a space thing and you're kind of shooting ahead and then like dropping bombs on stuff down below you um variety plenty. there's a weird level in the middle for some reason that i don't understand why where you're just collecting a bunch of chickens in this rotating space and then you deliver them to a door um it's bizarre it doesn't make any sense in the context of the game but again this is a you know doesn't really have much of a story to care about either it's not it's not one of those so yeah had a great time blasting through gunstar superheroes and has made me interested in playing gunstar heroes the original game so maybe i will pick that up it's pretty cheap on 3ds as a 3d classic uh, so yeah i'll see if, if that happens but yes there you go that's video games uh, as you can tell lots has been played uh in the last month or so <laughs> since we did uh, a segment like this it might so, be a record uh, can't be far might off. be might be definitely just stuffing them in at the end there but uh that is going to do us uh, for the first part of the show don't go anywhere we will be back after the break tackling some of your emails see you in a bit Hello everyone and welcome back to the second and final part of today's show. It's time for some emails and the well is dry, you know, yeah. like this this happens from time to time. We've got a big stack of emails, we read through them all and then we need more emails. So if you would like to send an email into the show, please email thisnintendolife at gmail.com. That is thisnintendolife at gmail.com. It'd be hugely appreciated. A comment, a question, a correction, anything. We really appreciate it um you can also comment or ask a question in our discord server link to that in the show notes of this show uh hop on over it's a it's a great community there's a, a mm-hmm. thread a channel in that channel channels right where a channel in there to to ask us all sorts of questions and we can read them out on the show but our first question this week is from justin who's from pennsylvania he says, greetings, gentlemen. There's a lot I want to cover here, so please pardon my brevity. Okay, this is spoilers for episode 200 for those who haven't listened yet to the five-hour sure, marathon. Yes, yeah. 
Number one, it pains me to learn that along with a world that features COVID-19 and rampant political discourse, rampant political discourse, I also live in a reality where Super Mario Galaxy 2 fails to make a top 50 list while Golf Story comfortably rests well below the 50th spot. Yeah, now you say it out loud, it feels bad to me. I don't know. I feel like we fucked up, Valley. Mate, we're on our anti-Mario Golf hype train. That's what put it up there. That's it, yeah. It's all Mario Golf's fault. Blame Mario Golf. Point number two, I enjoy your podcast so much, minus the above grievance, that I am now listening through the entire library from episode one onward. You both should revisit episode four, where Metroid Dread and Advance Wars just happened to be predicted in the same segment. Kudos, albeit seven years too early. You know, we've been shouting out for 2D Metroid and Advance Wars for a long time, so the fact they come in the same direct is just bonkers. To be fair... I'm not that surprised that we r- r- predicted that because, like, we always predict those quite often. Uh, but I guess just so happened at that point we did them at the same time. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, well, Justin, when you get there, you'll find that in later episodes we predict it about every year, every time. We find that, um, yeah, two D new two D Metroid is the prediction I make every episode. We predict anything, so <laughs> yeah, it's always always there. So here's the question. Point number three. What video game characters, locations, items, etc. are you guilty of mispronouncing? Here are mine. Right, this is going to be difficult because I'm reading out pronunciations and mispronunciations. But yes, yeah. Volvagia? And then he says, I pronounce it Vulvugia and have done <laughs> since Ocarina of Time's original release. Kokiri? Uh, I pronounce it Kokuri, like Popery. Uh, and then navi i used to pronounce it navy but this was obviously incorrect and has since been rectified uh side note to the above question i'm curious to know if your british and european friends also pronounce yoshi in the same fashion as you do in the u.s there isn't as strong of an emphasis on the yo uh when his name is mentioned in the podcast it sounds like an h sound is added for effect like yoshi i'm not poking fun i just find it interesting justin from pennsylvania tends to be the case i would say that most people over here say yoshi there was one friend we had when we were younger who i recall said mario and also said yoshi um but that's the only wow. time i've really heard that i think said. the japanese pronounce it yoshi i think they do like yoshimitsu not... not yoshimitsu yeah I, I i say yoshimitsu i think so right. i think that's probably how we we say it generally so yeah i feel like that's generally the case mario yoshi luigi we do say i do say wario even though wario is definitely consistently said by certain people over here and waluigi I, or waluigi I, think, I don't know i think um i think the united states is split on wario between wario and wario I feel I, like Wario happens over here a lot more often I, because Mario. I disagree. Wario. I think UK it's huh. all about Wario. Weird. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. It's it's one of those ones that like, for some reason, there's no consistency there, even though they're like the same bar one letter. Yeah. Right. Like it's I, uh, it's a little messed up. There was up. someone at school who always said um, Hillier and Hillian. Mm, and yes i always go hylia hylian um, yeah which is obviously a yeah. zelda one and epona of course epona. not like dan Riker who says epona and i'm like what the fuck epona. are you talking about epona. uh that's definitely a common one pokemon names was the big one right and we've mentioned this a few times on the show but um kyogre was kyogre. mine where instead of kyogre where it's like the re is just like a sound i was like kyogre um like he was gra 
uh, at the end there so that's probably my most memorable one of those suicune is another one um where when i started playing pokemon competitively everyone was like suicune and i was like that's not correct you people are wrong that's one of those that i didn't change myself on i changed myself to kyoga but suicune i'm not going to change that i'm definitely not changing that so um but yeah people have a lot of debate over pokemon names that's certainly one where a lot of it changes depending on where you live and and your accent and stuff like that and here's the real thing right all this shit is fucking made up words so there there is no there's not really a definition you know the one that really pissed me off recently was arceus where everyone's like oh it's arceus because that one guy in the pokemon direct said arceus with a hard c i'm like no motherfuckers this is arceus and it has always been arceus and i think they're guilty of saying it both ways yeah yeah. I think there have been people on official Pokemon streams who say it both ways, which just messes it all up. Um, but we're not, we need to get to the pet peeve of the entire video game industry, which is the number one. <laughs> I've not even played these games yet, and I want to, but um, <laughs> my God, Lara Croft and Laura Croft. And I know this is a pet peeve of yours, MPZ, but like, it's that is. It's my biggest fucking pet peeve. That is a bad one. The, the, other, the other one um, alongside this is when Game of Thrones was big, people calling Daenerys Khaleesi as if it was her name <laughs> and not understanding that Khaleesi is a title, like Queen is a title. Um, that pissed me off to no end. People calling their kids that. It's important to reference where a name comes from. Like we were saying about Yoshi. Like, Yoshi is a Japanese character. Like, I think it's important that if you're arguing for like what is the correct pronunciation i'd always veer towards you know where it comes from same with like lara is a british name it just is yes. um, it's a very english name like it's it is lara it's never been laura it never will be laura no. it's lara um, laura is a different name laura right like that's the name. thing that annoys me the most is like people pronounce it that way and they're like eh, this is just my accent i was like no that's yeah it's a, but that's i mean the british name laura name. is definitely laura but then say the yes. italian name laura and there's a very specific italian well, laura. Name laura and it's laura exactly yeah. so like yeah. some names have multiple origins and others don't and um in the in, for most american names their origin normally isn't in the u.s which i think is important to say um so yeah. yeah are you guilty of pronouncing something wrong but just knowing it's wrong and doubling down on it and not changing just because you're like well this is how i know it now and i'm not going to change it happens to me a lot when i read fantasy books because there's a lot of and i talked to you a little bit about this of you know these fantasy names well, the, the that, wheel of time is coming out on amazon right they've got, they got, they've got to nail those names right they have to canonize these now right um okay so to be fair i have changed my uh verdict on uh, on one of them because i okay. did have a very stupid one that i clung to for a while but then you know listening to podcasts and stuff there's it gets bro- barriers get broken down over time where you don't do it the same way so there's a character in the wheel of time who's called Egwene and i called her edgewin <laughs> like the first three books in my head and i'm like i'm not changing this i don't i'm not gonna look at any pronunciation guy there's nothing here i'm just gonna say edgewin that's how it's said um and uh and i i know that annoys a lot of fucking people but i was like i'm not gonna change it and now i'm at a point where i'm like yeah i'm <sighs> now i just say Egwene, yeah. and like that's in my head now and I, i'm not gonna change it yeah. so and yeah. it's interesting because obviously in books, like, no one is saying those names unless you're listening no. to a podcast about them or something. There are like... pronunciation guides, or if you're listening to an audiobook, right. and the audiobook narrator exactly. says it. Um... But I think games are interesting where, sure, when Ocarina of Time came out, there was very few, there was no spoken cutscenes. So, like, there's no pronunciations of words. Now we're in, like, this 
world where many AAA games are aping on a lot of film stuff and there's huge cutscenes with names being thrown around all over the stuff, yes, all over yeah. the place. That it's, it's very... Everyone knows Aloy is pronounced Aloy because everyone in that game says Aloy and Although no one that, is saying The thing Aloy. that really boggles my mind is some people who play the game, who hear the name multiple times, and they still just say it wrong every time. And I don't... Are, you, are we going back to Lara and Laura? No, it's with Aloy. I've heard people who like talk about it on shows are like Al, and I'm like, how? How does your brain? I mean, they might have just been skipping them cutscenes, but no, I don't think so. But like, there's something about it. Some people who just like have ear blindness or whatever <laughs> <laughs> not that they're deaf or whatever but like they just it's like have you seen the episode of obviously you've seen every episode of friends now because you watched i the have book. i've seen also seen them fairly recently yes but it's the episode of friends where joey is trying to learn french oh, and phoebe's God. like okay and she's teaching him the proper thing and then he's like yeah i just said that le fleur de la bleu you know like that's yes. that's kind of what i feel some people are like in reality uh where they hear a thing it goes in their head and then they just can't replicate it whether own voice um and and yeah that that frustrates me a lot um but i don't know people yeah, are different right yeah. so it's it important happens. i do think it is important to try and be as respectful as as possible on yes. pronunciation and a lot of these names come from places and in those places they are pronounced a specific way and i think it is important to to respect that and not mm-hmm. just like pretending something is hard to pronounce and these sorts of things and you hear it on podcasts yeah. all the time people fumbling yeah. a lot. we hear it on this podcast plenty us fumbling names and it's it, it can be difficult but it is important to just kind of like how would you like it if that was your name being yeah mispronounced? and you've probably experienced a lot of this in your life MBZ. i mean yeah i know but, yes. uh no one's i mean i do a, m- a much better job nowadays of telling people how to say my name and like it's laying N-B-Z. it bz <laughs> yeah it's okay yeah capitalize the b <laughs> in the middle yes yes 100 uh no my actual my actual name definitely people uh just can't say properly generally and so you know it's fine it's whatever i'm very used to it it's, it's not something that really phases me that much but um you know it's nice when people say it correctly so I'm I'm fine with that. Um but but yeah, the uh the modern one for me in terms of video game names that I say even though I know it is wrong and it's stupid is a character from Fire Emblem Three Houses who is called Lysithia, but I call her Lysisthia because I think that just sounds better and uh should be an extra S in there and it flows better off my tongue, so I say Lysisthia and I think that's a cooler name. How does that flow better off your tongue? I do- Look, man, I don't know. I just, it's one of those moments, right, where sometimes you'll read a name and you'll just add a letter in there, even though it's not there, but your brain won't see it. And so I'll keep saying this. And I think it was because I started streaming Three Houses and, and I was saying Lysisthia and people were like, that's not her name. And I was like, oh, wait, isn't it? And then I read it and I'm like, oh, shit that isn't her name but i've said this too many times now and i know what that is so i'm just going to keep saying it regardless so uh she is lysistia to me and i'm not going to change that i'm just that's yes. just going to be uh the way that i say it no matter what and uh who cares man that's uh that's kind of what i'm gonna go with for the rest of my life we also so. have to remember that over time mbz has become an american and uh-huh, yes youtube <laughs> this, YouTube, this pisses even, off my sister so much you, you even have you. like american mannerisms and I, I pointed this out a while ago but and, and I really notice American podcasting this, especially like a giant bomb or something, and someone like a Brad Shoemaker. Yes. And it's when someone says something that's mildly interesting, but they didn't know it before. And it's, huh. It's like a, that's, in, it's like a, that's interesting. Thanks for telling that. And, and I'm going to verbally 
reciprocate my intake of that knowledge whereas i feel like in the uk we just stay silent and just take it in you know like it's a very american thing it is one of those things funnily enough that i do quite a lot and i wonder if the podcast has anything to do with it is or maybe it's just me as a person now we're going to get an email in with all of our little verbal quips and things yes no everyone has them they're all over the place but i do i do tend to verbally respond and say yes or like agree verbally when someone says something i think it's partially because i fucking hate it when there's silence in any conversation and it's my least favorite thing in the universe and it's it's just terrible (laughs) so i'm always like making sure there is some vocalization of something going on within someone talking um and yeah i don't know personal thing maybe but uh, i definitely i do that a lot when you're talking i notice it on when i'm editing this show when you're talking i jump in with random yeses and has and like things right. like that when i'm talking there are moments where i could just like cut your entire audio out because you just say nothing like because i'm just talking <laughs> just and you're so just like British don't pipe it. in at all and if you do pipe in it is like so barely audible on the track that it's like <laughs> right, this right. tiny whisper right um so but is, it, is that difference between a yep or a right or a mm-hmm yes. versus a huh it's like a huh huh that's interesting that's interesting thanks that's true thanks that's interesting thanks for sharing that all in like one sound you know like it's it's that kind of sound but anyway exactly so yeah the last one i'm gonna uh, mention which isn't a video game one but is a book one um is uh also uh fuck jk rowling but uh harry potter uh hermione my mother didn't know the name hermione so for the first three books when she was reading to me uh, when i was younger uh we called her hermione uh so she was she was known as i've also heard harmony one before yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, just didn't know that name never heard that name before and so my mom called her hermione and she was hermione um but yes uh yeah there you go uh cool thanks for the question yeah that was fun question justin i'm sure we'll return to pronunciations at some point Uh uh-huh they always come up our next question is from Ski, who's from the internet, and says, Greetings, gentlemen. I find myself at crossroads between the two major Nintendo releases coming out this summer. Well, they're already out, but we're getting there. Having played Toastal Tour an obscene amount in my childhood, I am torn with spending my hard-earned coin on that with an unplayed Skyward Sword looming on the horizon. Please, Sophie's Choice, these two for me, and discuss. For me and all the other budget-conscious Switch owners biting their nails this summer, almost regards, Ski. Yeah, I think it's interesting that we have such choice uh, in the latter part of this year in terms of Nintendo releases. So not Mm. only with Mario Golf and Skyward Sword being out, but having Metroid coming down the line, having WarioWare, having the Monkey Ball remake. um, You know, there's a lot of good stuff and Advance Wars, you know. Uh, So it's definitely one of those things, I think, for us doing this show now, we tend to just get things that we may not have otherwise um just for the purposes of discussing them and talking about them and and keeping up with the joneses as they say you know you gotta gotta be on top of uh what is coming out especially for nintendo people are here for those hot takes we, we gotta stay yeah, hot absolutely um but yeah i i do appreciate there's loads of people out there who you know have specific uh games that they want to get and uh ones that they will eventually get and the tricky part with nintendo is a lot of the uh, kind of calculation goes down to, well, none of this is going to go on sale. So, you know, does it really behoove me to wait that much? And like, how much do I want to wait? Do I want to see if it potentially goes down a 30% off sale, which is like the furthest Nintendo will go with their games being put um, on, on low discount? Um, 
So yeah, with this this one is an interesting one, and I, I depends. Does he mention that if he's played Skyward Sword before? Um, I just missed that. In the no, I, I, it's not clear one way or another. Okay, um, I would say having played both of them now, un, un, unplayed Skyward Sword looming. So I don't know yeah. if Ski is suggesting that the version is unplayed or or they haven't yes. played it at all. Okay, yeah, I think honestly it's it's kind of a an interesting one because on the one hand one game is a remake and so potentially not new on the other hand the other one is a brand new game on the other but... hand, one is sky the other is skyward sword oh wow wow <laughs> fucking scathing boy jesus christ <laughs> bali with the, with the spiciest of takes today it's so bad and i'm laughing before i can even get it out that's, <laughs> no that's that was good, good man that's that not was good, good. um so so yeah, no, uh, yeah. But the other one's Mario Golf, of course. Um, and I think uh, I'm certainly having a better time with Skyward Sword than Mario Golf from a personal perspective. But also, I think like talking about it from the lens of a Zelda game, right? A franchise Zelda game. I just want to talk a little bit about the way Skyward Sword has been marketed and, and things like that. Man, they fucking love this game and Nintendo YouTube channel, right? Like they're like, here's a trailer today and another trailer tomorrow, and like here's the Zelda Loftwing amiibo and all this stuff that is. That's just that's just the lack of Breath of the Wild guilt this year. And the the comms yeah. team is like, we've got to get out of this Skyward totally. Sword content. But like, there is a there's a prestige afforded to Zelda games that other series don't necessarily Definitely. get. Now, obviously, Mario Golf's a game where Mario features in it, so it does have that going for it, which is a pretty big deal. But Skyward Sword definitely got a lot more love from Nintendo. Um, and, you know, even those fucking Joy-Cons, right? Those Triforce Joy-Cons, which look very nice. I will be uh, honest, you know. If, if my second pair of Joy-Cons break, then, you know, that's potential. If those even are able to be bought, because, of course, you know, they, they go out of stock like nobody's business. But um, it, to me, feels like, despite being a remake, it is the least likely to go on sale and therefore it would be a better choice to play right now not only that but it's also it's a beefier game it's a longer game it's going to last you right and if you're having the choice between multiple games and what's going to last you i think you also probably have to take into consideration are you going to play with other people right because mario golf the benefit there is multiplayer and are you playing online are you going to play with other people so really there is a there is a length conversation to be had with both of these games and which would be the more valuable one but i think from the perspective of price is going to remain high for skyward sword whereas i feel like of the two games mario golf is more likely to drop into a bargain bin potential Mm. even though that's not going to happen necessarily right there's only rare games from nintendo that ever hit the you know five dollars a month after release and those those two uh (laughs) those two brave souls are codename steam and metroid other m the only two nintendo games i've seen that have just sharply declined in price to the point where they are dirt cheap Um, Mm. and the stores just want to get rid of them and they can't because no one wants to buy codename steam and it makes me sad but you know there's a lot of copies of Codename Steam out there for £5, so you can find one if you want it. Um, definitely not going to be a hard-to-find game, I, I think, in the future. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think from that perspective as well. So so it depends, you know? It depends on kind of what type of experience you're looking for. How much does a single-player Mario Golf experience speak to you if you are ultimately going to spend hours and hours playing it online? You know, it's kind of kind of the argument we had with pokemon diamond back in the day of like yeah we we played that single player for what you know 40 hours and then the other 800 hours i spent like doing online stuff so mm. um it's yeah it's, it's it's kind of tricky to to say specifically because it all is based on your own circumstances but my 
you know recommendation would probably be skyward sword uh, and bali as someone who has not bought skyward sword hd i'm interested to see what what you think yeah i i mean i do have my issues with skyward sword that i've said on the show before but i do stand by the idea the fact that i do think every zelda that i've played is a great top tier game like I, yes. I, i'd even include skyward sword in that like it's still a great game um and i think that in many senses uh super mario golf i can't remember the name the switch one that just came out super um, rush it's, super it's, rush super rush it's just it's it's a bit boring in some aspects and the story mode is fine and you know it's it's not doing anything really special and i think the whole super rush mode itself i've talked about on previous shows that it's just not my cup of tea in the slightest i like the vanilla golf and it does the vanilla golf well but i would have liked to have seen more in that sense like more courses more modes and less just no you know gimmicky ideas like the super rush mode so i if I had to, put, I know I, I know I bought Toast, uh, not Toastal Tour, uh, Super Rush. But you did buy Total Tour at one point in your life. I did, but if I had to play one of those games now, I would play Skyward Sword. I just don't love the idea of spending what like fifty quid, sixty quid on it personally. But um, it is yeah. the it is the better game, um, and you should play the better game, which I think is Skyward Sword. Yeah, um, and I don't know. I feel like you know it's it's a game that deserves redemption. It's a game that deserves another look. Um, and for all the kind of excitement that people were having around Mario Golf and versus the skepticism that people were having around Skyward Sword coming back, I think they've both gone kind of in opposite directions, right? Where like mm. Mario Golf was like, oh, it's fallen off a cliff. Whereas Skyward Sword was like, mm, don't know about this. And then people were like, oh, actually, yeah, kind of good game because they've done, they've just done a lot, I think, just to make it, you know, better and streamlined. Yeah. And, I've got, and I've got a hot stuff, take so. on Skyward Sword, right? Okay. Lots of people have their issues with Skyward Sword, and but here's a unique issue I have with Skyward Sword. Oh boy, I don't. So before Skyward Sword, the Zelda timeline was like this. Fan, oh, here we go. Fan theorized thing that was a bit zany, a bit loopy, a bit out there, a bit oh that links out. Maybe, maybe not. It might link to that. Might, might not. And it felt, it felt like something that the fans owned. You know, it was something that was underground it was weird it was it was are you saying that the skyward sword is the point where zelda sold out is that what i'm saying skyward sword is the point where nintendo were like hmm zelda timeline we could make money out of that let's make a game that is at the very start of the timeline and we're going to do this hyrule historia following the game and we're going to make an official timeline and and that's when the timeline it all went corporate and sold out and i don't like it i don't like it as Hyrule Historia, man, you know, it's canonized now. It is in writing. Um, yeah, I know. It's it's weird the extent to which they go out of their way in Skyward Sword to directly yeah, reference the timeline the story. and huge. explain it. And, like, the ending is all tied up with, like, why Zelda as a series is as it is, right? Like, yes. it's um, it's really interesting in that way. So, so yeah. Um, I mean, I love it as uh, I talked about in the uh, first part of the show. And, it's a good story. Uh, yeah. I, I think they, although I don't like the idea of what they did, the way they did it, I think was actually quite good. Like it does, yeah, make a crazy logic a bit more logical, which is what the timeline perhaps needed. But, but I'm going to go uh, in a different direction here because I think that you know, if you know, you could make that choice between Marigold and Skyward Sword, or or you could be patient. You know, you could wait, you could bide your time, and you could buy 
Metroid Dread. Now, wouldn't that be a delight, right? Wouldn't that be a game to spend your money on? I do think Toastal Tour, not Toastal Tour, uh, it's, <laughs> Matt, I keep calling it Toastal Tour. I'm looking at it. <laughs> it's because you're, you're yearning for Toastal Tour battle. You do, need yeah, a back twist, in your life. Toastal Tour battle. You can have Marigold for Scarlet Sword now. They're good games. They're fine. I mean, I did say Scarlet Sword is a great game. I stand by yeah. that. But yeah. there are even greater games coming later this year in yeah. Advance Wars Reboot Camp and Metroid Dread and WarriorWare and all these. We say this games. having not played any of these. We don't know, but uh, I don't know. There's there's an anticipation there. There's an excitement. Um, yeah. That, uh, yeah. That hype. I'm looking forward to. I'm excited. So yeah, maybe save your money for Metroid Dread. That's what I would do. Everyone, everybody listening to this podcast, please buy Metroid Dread. I'm begging you please by metroid dread uh that is my plan i think people will and um, i hope so that, i hope so that kind of links to the next question all right well let's talk about it matt who says hi bally and mbz hope you're both doing well and still buzzing from nintendo's e3 direct i thoroughly enjoyed it and not just because it was the only e3 conference i didn't have to cover for work i thought it was one of nintendo's best directs in years and it also feels like they didn't show all of their cards leaving me hopeful about nintendo's 2022 metroid in particular was a standout with the double whammy of the metroid 5 announcement followed later by the metroid dread name reveal showing that nintendo still knows how to hype up their long time fans However, while I enjoyed the Metroid Dread reveal as well as Advance Wars, there was one thing on my mind throughout the presentation. Will these games sell enough? And it wasn't until later that it hit me what a ridiculous thought this was to have. Here I was watching a Nintendo Nintendo Direct that revealed two games I'm incredibly hyped for and I'm immediately analysing whether they will have enough mass market appeal to sell well enough and convince Nintendo to keep making games in the franchise. Why can't I simply be happy with the games that were revealed? I know that I'm going to buy and enjoy them both, and shouldn't that be enough? I wanted to know if you guys struggled with this as well, and whether it's a problem particularly for Nintendo fans. I've always enjoyed PlayStation franchises and own all of the current consoles, yet I only ever think this is think like this when it comes to Nintendo. As always, keep up the good work, Matt. Well, Matt, um, if you heard me just prior to reading your email, then you'll see I have fallen into the exact same uh, scenario that you describe uh, in your email, uh, which, uh, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think um, we are guilty of doing that uh, often. And, And I think part of it is a bit of survivor's guilt of like, look, we've been through 19 years of no 2D Metroid. And so part of, I think, our assumption with those types of things is the reason it's been 19 years is because the metroid games didn't do well and therefore nintendo decided this is not financially viable and therefore we're going to put it away for however long but i feel like the answer is probably a lot more complicated than that and it's not as kind of sakamoto discussed and you know trying to get this game made it's probably a, a a bit of that for sure but i think there's a lot of other factors going on right like the whole idea of they wanted to do this certain thing on the ds but they didn't have the capability the fact that nintendo's entire r&d structure changed around that time and so sakamoto Mm. didn't have a dedicated team anymore to make that type of game and the fact that you know metroid prime was becoming this own separate thing on the side and you know that was being done by a different company and so he's trying to find another company to work on it we know that you know they potentially tried to work with next level on a metroid game that didn't work out and it's all about like him trying to find a way to get this made and then not really being avenues within the company to do so And, and i think so much of nintendo's ip and what drives like 
these franchises being made is having a cheerleader there to actually get on board with it and bring it back right yeah. um and if you don't have that if that person is not there anymore it leads to franchises disappearing or franchises not being cared for by the people in yeah. charge or the people who are, are in positions to make those type of decisions right like would an f-zero be made if someone there at the company was interested in making one it doesn't seem like like the comments we get from people like miyamoto is oh well we had to do something new with it in order to make it and um it's my least favorite comment that miyamoto makes because like what's so ironic about that is that then they create franchises where all they do to change it is stick the word new in front of it <laughs> and then for them that is new so all we yeah. want yes miyamoto is new in quotes f-zero yes <laughs> no, no. oh my fine. goodness yeah i mean that's definitely gonna happen um but yeah what i'm saying is is that we i think catastrophize from the point of and and i think this is also because a lot of companies do this thing where they're like hmm let's put this thing out and say well you should buy this and then we'll make another one in the series you know like they did with the monkey ball deluxe thing of banana blitz hd and they're like hmm yes we will see how this does and if it does well in the market then perhaps we shall bring more to the system and it's like well I just don't like that shit because people aren't going to buy Banana Blitz just so that they can get the other game to get there because they're just not going to buy it because they don't want to buy Banana Blitz, right? They're going to buy a thing because they want that thing. And so having something that is adjacent to it as a, ooh, this might be a way to test the waters, I've never thought is a a great thing when it comes to like the... The, the hardcore kind of fan base of it right because yeah. those people are well informed enough to be like well this isn't the thing i want but this company is saying this thing and it's like it just puts people in a weird position uh, and i just i've never it's never sat right with me but it is it is partially why i think we feel this way when it comes to these games it's like yeah okay well I guess I've got to buy Federation Force now to show them or in that case the blowback is so bad that um you know maybe nintendo looks at that and thinks well okay maybe we need to work on something else in order to to make this work so who knows i got two points firstly i don't think metroid's ever really sold that well like ever no and but they still went through a period where fusion and prime one came out on the same day prime became a trilogy uh they also remade the original metroid into zero mission all within like it's like a five to six years. I mean, span, if you right? include Prime Three, it is like an I guess an eight to nine year. But even those yeah. other five, four, three, four games, it is like within a five year period or whatever. So yeah, it, like mm-hmm. that was a period where they were like, "We like Metroid. We are making a lot of Metroid." Critic, I think to some extent, maybe it's because it does critically do well. I think Nintendo were still probably vaguely interested in having some games that do very critical do well critically you know and not all of their games do to be honest i think part of the reason prime 4 came back is that kind of mythical quality that it has to a lot of nintendo fans right like there is a way in which there is a respect that the metroid prime name carries um which i think is more interesting to them versus how well commercially it will do because frankly prime 4 will be the best-selling metroid game i yes. think that's pretty com- i'm pretty confident in saying that I-, I think that's regardless regardless of its critical score like it will exactly like, guarantee because it like everything gets a switch boost and it everything gets a switch boost yeah but, exactly like every franchise we've seen it across their entire portfolio and so that's i think that's why this is an interesting era and and why we can maybe start to shed some of those fears a little bit is like 
I'm telling you all to buy Metroid Dread. I know a lot of you will buy Metroid Dread, right? Like, yeah. and I think there is a there's a zeitgeist about it. I think partially because the way the internet works these days with YouTubers and stuff like that. Of there's younger people online who are just being familiar with these franchises because they've heard about them, and now there's a new one coming out. Yeah, who haven't played a Metroid game, or they might have played 2017. You know. Yeah, and and so people are now getting excited about it in a way that they will commit and they will actually get the game um, because they want to get invested in something new and they want to care about something new. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that we're going to be okay with Metroid Dread. I think it's probably going to be the best-selling yeah. 2D Metroid bar none, right? Like, it's it's we're at that p- place where it is pretty confidently, especially launching alongside a brand-new Switch model, which is pretty cool for that game. Um, probably going to give it a bit more of a bump, but... Uh, but yes, I, I I do think that things are changing with the Switch era yeah. in some senses. But like on the question of is it wrong to like want you know a game to do well to sell more? It's like I I think it's like supporting a football team. You know, you want your football yeah. team to do well because then they play in the Premier League, and if they do badly, they get relegated, and it's harder to watch them and enjoy them in the same way. And mm. I think that you know imagine if the premier league is the switch imagine they've expanded the premier league by 15 teams you know that's how like i think the sales will do it's a weird comparison i know but like i do think we're in this era where as you say everything is selling well on switch and yeah if you are supporting your game you know you want advanced wars to come back and you know it had its heyday back in uh, the early noughties a bit like arsenal did it's like hey Arsenal's back. It's been promoted again. Here they are. They're back in the Premier League and reboot camps coming out. And like, there's no harm in that. Like, it's just, you want your, you know, you, in an ideal world, everyone wants the Fire Emblem Awakening dream, right? They want that their, their, their team is on the cusp of relegation, but then yeah. they go on to win the Premier League five times in a row. Uh, you yeah, know? Like exactly. It's, it's yeah, like everyone so... wants that to happen to their team. That's the, that's yeah. the dream. Not everyone can be, you know, Manchester City who buys their way to the top, like 3D <laughs> Mario, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not that simple. It's like everyone likes that redemption story. And really carrying this analogy about, I mean, I these narratives exist in gaming as they do in sport. And totally. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and everyone's entitled to that and you know the way the games sell and don't sell does play a factor uh but as we were saying it's not always the biggest factor because i think metroid is a a very good example of that so totally yeah yeah. and like the fire emblem example is great because like i'm fucking stoked man i you know i lived in a place where you know the ds remake came out and i'm like oh is there gonna be a new one they're gonna make a new fire emblem because i love the gba ones and then you know, this Fire Emblem can't out my fucking assholes now. You know, I can't get away from the goddamn <laughs> yeah. thing. There's just there's so much of it, and um, and that's awesome. Like I'm I'm so happy that it has found a new audience, and it's an audience who maybe likes it in a totally different way to the way I like it. Right? Like it's just they've changed it in a way that is more appealing to people who like visual novel stuff and like you know romances and like more narrative focus in their games. Um, and that's cool. Like I I still appreciate Fire Emblem the most for its mechanics and for its battle and strategy but i like the the direction it's gone in, in certain ways and you know I, I think there's a lot of hardcore fire emblem fans out there who are very grouchy who are like well this is anime titties now i don't like it and you know yeah there is val- valid points there there's lots of anime titties and i definitely think there are issues there <laughs> however um why are you not happy that your franchise that could have been dead is like alive and thriving right now yes, you know like yes. i'm i'm so thrilled that fire emblem is a mainstay that is a staple of nintendo's 
IP and the way that it's been successful means that they can afford to take risks with it and do some weird stuff so so yeah I'm I'm really happy about that you know if we lived in a world where Advance Wars came back and was able to do the same thing I'd be just as happy even though I don't really care for those games you know because it is a it is a staple it is a thing that people have wanted for a long time and um and I think it would just be good it'd be healthy for Nintendo to have a broad stable of ip that they are always working on Mm. and that's the thing is like a lot of it fades in and out of of um their portfolio depending on what era we're in and i'm sure there will be i i don't think there will ever be an era where mario fades away from nintendo but you know there are parts of mario of like the style of game that uh 64 and sunshine was you know that went away for a while until odyssey brought it back and the 2d marios even even manchester city have their dips you know they they (laughs) return to the top like yeah mario has it has his his dips yeah so the you know the 2d mario series was dead for like near a decade right until the, the new series happened on ds there wasn't an original 2d mario for an extremely long period of time um and so yeah, it it is an interesting thing because even those games that are the best sellers ever um, have their breaks, have their gaps. Um, so yeah, yeah, I don't think we need to worry that much. Matt, basically, uh, it's fine. It'll, it'll all be okay in the end. Metro Dread will do fine. Advance Wars will do fine. Um, and whether Nintendo does another one of those or not, I don't think comes down a hundred percent to people not buying it. I think there's there's a lot of factors that go into that. Certainly a big factor. I mean we live in capitalism so it's probably the the biggest mm. factor but i i would say there's maybe an oversized um expectation put on that when there are other things potentially that uh that restrict it from uh you know games from happening so definitely but yeah, yeah that's that's all the time we've got for emails on this episode as i said at the top of the segment please send in your emails to this nintendo life at gmail.com that's this nintendo life at gmail.com the well is dry, as we said. We would love some Fill emails. Fill her up. We'd Get them in. Hugely appreciated. Uh, or post them in the Discord server, as I also mentioned. Uh, link to that in the description. Um, I think that's the show, MBZ. That is. That's the end of the show. Uh, we did uh, uh, a short one this week after the marathon uh, that we did last well time. Well done to I everyone for getting through yes. that show. Yeah, <laughs> well yeah, done. it was... Uh, it was good. I enjoyed. I enjoyed making it. Hopefully, uh, you know, people aren't too mad, uh, and they uh, they enjoyed where we ended up uh, on it. I think it's probably the strongest list we've made overall uh, when yes. it comes down to it. So definitely, very definitely. happy with that. But uh, yeah, if you have missed it, it's uh, it's in your feed. It's episode two hundred. Uh, go check it out. Uh, we put a lot of time and effort into it, so uh, appreciate if people. Uh, it's listen. that one episode that's like taking up all the space on your phone that has made yeah. your <laughs> podcast app alert to you that your phone is running out of space. It's like, why is there fucking three hundred megabytes? I don't have any space on my <laughs> phone anymore. That's certainly what I used to be like with podcasts. Like, I didn't have enough space, and ah, oh, it was a nightmare. But uh, but now I have a phone that can keep them and. Uh, basically most of the space on my phone is just dedicated to podcasts if i'm honest i don't keep that much on my phone aside from podcasts are we are we going to be battling storage until the day we die like I why think so, is storage man. this thing that the, in the, like the world can't fix I fucking it's hate just it. infuriating the two things the two worst things about technology improving but these things not are storage and battery life. Yeah. like fucking <laughs> yes. come on man oh yeah. it's a nightmare we've been, we've been having lithium batteries since like the game boy advance sp and we're still using yeah. lithium batteries there must be something else we can invent i don't know i feel we'll eventually get to a point where battery technology 
is there but then we'll invent something new that means that battery just dies in like five minutes so. i want the the <sighs> the electric car where you literally drive over a panel a bit like f-zero at the the petrol station oh and shit that's that's how you recharge your electric car and they're just panels on the motorway and they just like exactly. auto charge at the moment you have to plug it out out your window into the old garage like it's an absolute nightmare it's stupid but yeah yeah, yeah electricity man great thing also a nightmare um as with most stuff in the universe uh all right well that's the end of the show uh let's get out of here let's plug some stuff let's do some things um bali uh where can the fine folks find you on twitter.com the hellscape that is twitter.com please find me at ballyman 91 that's b-a-l-l-y-m-a-n-9 one um I, I'm, I'm just not tweeting much at the moment you just get, don't tweet you, you might as well just it. close your fucking twitter account because you don't tweet say ever. something controversial to me get me riled up I'll, I'll, yeah i know i'll talk to you i've got i'm, I'm there but i just want to know what are you eating for breakfast you know you can just oh. take a picture here's a bagel i'm having tweet, tweet at me the number one game that you are like bally how has that game gotten into your list or a game that's not on the list that should be on the top 50 list that's what tweet tweet bally telling him that he should play yakuza uh now uh, and then with all the pressure we'll get him to play it and it'll be fine um <laughs> You can find me at Lord NBZ uh, on the internet, uh, where you can aid me in my quest to force Bally to play uh, games that uh, he will eventually play in six years. Hey, if that's one thing that list sh- showed is that I've played a lot of games um, since you have, the last yeah. time that you wanted that's me fair. to play, so I've, I've, done, I've done my homework. Yeah, um, and you can find the podcast Twitter at TNL Podcast. Uh, that's where we post things about the show uh, and stuff like that. So you can go and follow us over there if you would so like. Uh, obviously, we are all over the shop in terms of places that you can download us and uh, find us. We're uh, on Spotify, we're on Stitcher, we are on Apple Podcasts. Uh, go ahead and review us there. Fun fact. No one's reviewed us in 2021 yet. Can you be the person to review us in 2021? Uh, that would be a fun thing to do, because then... In the United States, we should also... In the United States, in the US. Uh, but also in the UK, to be fair. Also 2020, last reviews we had in 2020. I feel like, you know, less people are uh, doing commutes, right? So more, less people are recommending podcasts these yeah. days. I but, think less people you know, even know what Apple Podcasts is, to be honest. It's true. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. But it's yes. still the core way to boost the show, is it? It's all still it tied up to Apple Podcasts, all yep. their reviews. So, yeah, we mm-hmm. appreciate any reviews. Yeah, that would be uh, fantastic. So please do that. Um, and if you would like to get some more of our voices, uh, despite the fact that we gave you five hours last time, uh, <laughs> you can head on over to patreon.com slash this Nintendo life, a fine website where you may... Uh, support us financially if you so wish um and uh, and yeah you can get some bonus episodes over there and stuff like that um that we talk about video games that isn't nintendo uh, which is a fun time uh, and yeah bally would like to thank uh, some of our patrons a huge thank you to our 10 dollar tier patrons they are of course zach s atari alex thomas matthew and my fiance caroline thank you so much for your support but thank you to all of our patrons it's hugely hugely appreciated the support you give the show it's the it's what keeps the show ticking what keeps the lights on what keeps us playing and buying games so it's hugely Mm -hmm. hugely appreciated um thank you so much absolutely um yeah i think that's it episode 201 in the bag bally uh we're into uh another set of numbers here who knows uh you know if we'll uh, get to the big 500 or the big 1000 but that's the thing with our show it's uh, every two weeks and so we're just we're crawling along here we're just like so much slower than every other podcast you know all these other podcasts start and they pass us in numbers i'm like you know 
it's fine because we're just with us yeah they come and go but we're, we're still here we're we still keep, here so keep on going yeah um fantastic you uh yeah that's it i don't know that's the end of the show i don't have anything interesting to say um it's hot still in the uk uh it's getting a bit better i feel like scotland's probably a lot nice. less uh, i like it a lot i'm getting married yeah. next month <laughs> that's true that is true that is happening that's so uh yeah, so uh, that'll happen. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that when that happens. But uh, yes, I'm looking forward to it. And um, and yes, uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks' time with some more video games, some more chat about Nintendo, some more nonsense, all that good stuff. So um, thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you very soon. Bye-bye, folks. interlude used on today's show was avarice from death's door copyright devolver and acid nerve 2021